so we last left off after two and a half hours. We talked about everything leading up to playing poker and why you started playing poker. But we didn't really get too deep into it because you have a lot of connections in poker now. And then we still didn't get into why we know each other, which is your pizza shops. So after two and a half hours, there's still a lot to un- to uh, unwrap, Luke, in the life of Luke Edwards. So almost too much. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we can we can filter because we want to talk about some topics too because we uh, we joke a lot about uh, social commentary that's going on and just the the craziness of the news and all that other bullshit but more importantly so okay so last we lay it off so this is what i remember you you were paying your debt and you went down there and you paid your debt off with poker correct and then you're like so why why am i not doing this full-time i know i hate doing this so what like what was kind of the next step so you you said before you would play against people well, you know, right after I left the house, there was an interesting uh, caveat to this whole story, which I forgot to bring up. Um, obviously, we talked about my past, which is uh, riddled with cops and what have you. Uh, the one thing I forgot to bring into this was the reason that I was sort of relegated to the job I had, you know, doing the catering, doing the pizza, uh, working for who I was working with. And when we were in the middle of Warp Tour, um, my band, like there, there was two, there was two of us that were just like ride or die. We, we knew how to get it all done. And then there was two of them that wanted to just drink and pass out in the grandstand area and just like, yeah. get sunburned and hang out chicks. Um, so for, for us, uh, the two that wanted to get it done, we said, well, to make this a viable thing, we can't focus on normal jobs when we're back. Yeah. We have to have just jobs that can work with our schedule, sort of like yeah. you do with your farming. Yeah. Um, which that is took why, me a long time to figure out, too. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I mean, you really do. And that's why, you know, when you came in, I was like, oh, this sort of match made in heaven. I understand yeah. your makeup. And uh, because it's it's very... Well, I like the fact, too, that you like talking to me because... Uh, um. You know, not to sound like a dick, but like, so I was, I was driving for skip the dishes at the time and you were like, so shocked that I actually brought a bag and I could yeah. speak English and I professionally presented myself. You're like, Hey man, I'm always looking for drivers. I was like, cool, man. I need some extra income. I'm a farmer. And, yeah. uh, it sounded crazy probably at the time, but you're like, Oh, I get this guy's trying to hustle his own and he needs yeah. some extra side cash. Yeah, no, I definitely got it. And, uh, you know, I mean, we've had skip the dishes drivers run into our trailer. That was the funniest shit you told me. Some yeah. guy backed into your trailer and you called the company and they were like, oh, it's just a food truck. And you're like, uh, where do you live at? Let me just drive my car into your house because yeah. it's just a house. It's just a house. It's, it's made by humans. <laughs> yeah. It's not necessary to be nice. Oh, it's, it's not an asset at all. But, um, yeah, it, it the thing that kept me into it. So when uh, my guitarist, James, and I, we would be tour and we'd get off tour and uh, we'd go work these jobs and I was always wanting to move up, move up and move up. Well, my, my goal was make the most money possible because recording yeah. is expensive and everything was really expensive. And uh, so in doing that, uh, I was always really good at selling things as we've talked about. Yeah. And so uh, at the time eBay was starting to take off and eBay motors, particularly, it's still and, pretty uh, big. You can still it's still pretty big, but yeah. back then eBay Motors was sort of the, it was sort of the conduit for those who needed to sell something immediately. Yeah, and they were willing to go below wholesale to get cash now. Well, coincidentally, we had a little bit of scratch, and uh, 
And so it was really good. So I, I told James, I said, Hey man, do you want to sell some cars? And he goes, well, we don't have the money. I said, actually we do. There's this guy going through a divorce needs to sell this car for about 8,000 below book. Yeah. And if we go there, it might be a sweet investment. And if we turn a quick two dimes, then, uh, that's more money than you and I both make in a month. Yeah. And he goes, Oh, it can't be that easy. And I said, well, maybe it is that easy. And, uh, so we started doing that in between, like when we started touring a lot. And so we'd get off tour and I'd work the pizza shop and I would, I'd sell these cars on the side. And the cool thing is I would always drive the car that I'm selling because what better way to advertise how good a car is yeah. than when you're driving down the road and somebody's like, damn, man, that's a nice ride. You're like, well, it's for sale actually. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it was a great marketing tool. And uh, so we were doing the car thing. Uh, we quickly realized after our eighth sale that uh, the state of Ohio is not a big fan of selling more than seven. Well, they they dropped it to five recently. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So they actually because you yeah you have to have a dealership license because we were actually um, my buddy and I were actually looking at doing that in like 2012 because he actually his uncle like a guy that's like his uncle back in Dayton yeah. had a dealership and so he would go to the auctions and mm-hmm. basically sell them on consignment at the dealership right and he never really actually ran into any issues but i think if you're selling seven cars a year if you can make enough profit by flipping it from a from an auction site it's yeah. it's not too bad so yeah it, there's definitely good money well we found out quickly we got a uh, letter from the uh the it's, i don't know who it was the state yeah. whoever deals with the title bureau um, and they're like, yo, you guys, are you dealers? And we're like, no, uh, we're just, you know, trying to make money like everybody else in this world. And, uh, they let us know, Hey, well, you need to know the law. And <laughs> I thought, well, that's stupid. Why is there a law involving yeah. consent, consenting adults saying, Oh, you want what I have and I yeah. want what you have. Yours yeah. is cash. Mine is a car. So, and, and actually like, <laughs> it's not to like sidetrack it too much, but it's really interesting. So the whole reason why we have jaywalking laws is also because of the automotive industry, because what happened was is they essentially were trying to make it illegal to walk places because they wanted everyone to buy a car. Hmm. So like they think Henry Ford lobbied and then all the big motor companies of the United States actually bought up all the street cars and let them run into the ground so people would buy cars. (laughs) It's like, I mean, it's like, I mean, it's a classic kind of corporatist business model in the United States. I think it worked for Henry Ford. It did. Not I mean, as much as the intermittent wiper, windshield wiper guy. <laughs> it worked for that guy yeah, a lot. Yeah. But I, I think too, like it's, um, so I mean, when we have like these licensures and everything like that, oh, you have to have a dealership. And and also too, I think they reduced it at the time since um, I think, so after 2008, when the bubble burst and pretty much every single American car company failed except for Ford. Yeah. Um, the used car market was just killing dealerships and all these dealerships shut oh, yeah. down. So then they reduced it to, so they could still have, so they could allow the licensed dealers to still make their nut. Yeah. So a lot of that probably had to do with UAW as well. Right. Um, I, I don't, I don't know, but like just logically guessing the way that knowing the way they do business, that makes the most sense. It does make sense, but it's and- still fucked. I agree. And, uh, that's, that's the unfortunate thing. And this is what I'm getting into, uh, as we were doing the cars, you know, I've always, as a libertarian, I've always been, uh, I've taken a firm stance on anything prohibition that it's effectively a 500 acre field with one little gate in front of the walkway. Yep. So you just got to walk through the grass instead of walking through the sidewalk where the gate is. Yeah. And so when they said that, I said, oh, okay, cool. Well, I got a business partner. So James, you're going to do the next seven cars. Yeah. (laughs) And then you find somebody else. They're going to do seven cars. Coincidentally, my wife, she then did seven cars. 
And uh, and all this was happening, and I became on a first-name basis with everybody at the title department. And then they said, hey, Luke, you know, you you really need to get a dealer license because we know what you're doing. I said, yeah, but I'm still within the law, so what's the matter that you know what I'm doing? But, yeah, but you're not within the spirit of the law. So, no. <laughs> so not only is there a law, but there's a spirit. Now I gotta there's, there's a God that goes with the law, Luke. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, I had no idea about the ideology of the title God. Yeah. But there is a title God, and we are to worship that title God if you're in this market. Dude, I mean, that's a funny thing, too, because, like, my trailer and my truck, I was pretty much told by the title company, like, don't put it in your business's name. Yeah. Especially if you're not driving it anywhere. Yeah, non-com. Yeah, put it as non-commercial, yeah. and then your business can still claim it as an asset, too. Yeah, it's weird. Well, it's I mean, it's just like, its it just kind of shows the hypocrisy. Like, look, I'm not complaining, yeah. but it's like, it's <clears throat> the issue that, like, the funny thing is, is when people try to, so there's, there's different strategies that a lot of people do to try to pin the government against itself, and it's like, why are you assuming that the government follows its own rules? Yeah. That's that's an assertion that uh, I think is very dangerous. It's very dangerous <laughs> because they don't. I mean, it, it's like when people, when they go to church, they want to follow the priest. Yeah. Don't follow the priest. That guy will molest a kid one in every 10. Yeah. Or he's going to fuck your wife. Yeah. And two in every 10. <laughs> you know, so there's a numeric value behind everything, which is why if you believe in ideology, uh, you shouldn't, you know, or theology rather, you shouldn't believe in, in those that are telling you about it. You should yeah. believe in those in which they're telling you from, Yeah, uh, you know, they're just the messengers. So, but, uh, so going back to the car thing, yeah, yeah, we sorry. were, we were selling cars, buying and selling cars. And at this time, like I said, from the book value, um, there's a lot of ways, uh, you know, at the time there's three main books, there's Edmonds, there is uh, Kelly blue book and there is uh NADA and ADA. And we always knew like, okay, what held it value the best? And it was a learning curve, obviously, but you know, James and I were pretty, we were pretty with it people. And uh, so we quickly found out which books used what we found a sort of interesting thing. When we dealt with people buying, we were going to quote the book that's low. And when we're dealing with the public who uses Kelly blue book more often than not, just because of marketing, they don't even know of Edmonds and Nata. Yeah. But banks know of Edmonds and Nata, and that's what they use. And it's the low end. So the bank wants to use low end because it's security. Yeah. You know? And so what we did was say, well, the Nata value of your car, you know, we're going to negotiate. So even from the eBay, uh, we knew e- people paid eBay fees. And we said, okay, well, instead of them paying the eBay fees to sell us less than wholesale, I'm going to contact them off eBay, which is like against eBay. Policy. Policy, for sure. I was in the spirit of eBay policy, Luke. Yeah, well, I'm in the spirit of making money. <laughs> so, in the spirit of taking care of Luke. Yeah, so the spirit of making money and taking care of myself and my family and loved ones should trump the spirit of eBay. Absolutely. And uh, so I wrote them, and uh, clearly the, the spirit of them taking care of themselves was better than eBay also, yeah. as I found out. <laughs> yeah. So they quickly ended the auction, and they said, okay, so... Here's what's going on. Show up North Carolina. Look at this car. If you like it on the auction, we can talk the numbers privately. Yeah. And I'll just say no one ever bought it. And so now now I know they're going to save hundreds because they don't got to pay the eBay commissions. So that hundred I will negotiate with. So instead of, say, for example, a $5,000 car, they have to pay $500 to eBay. 
Well, now if it's a five thousand dollar car, I'm already willing to pay. Now I can get it for forty seven fifty. So yeah. they keep two fifty. I keep two fifty. Absolutely. And now it's two fifty. We can put in expenses and you know pays so, the trip down there. Yeah. So we we uh, we got really good at it. We got really good at it. And uh, you know we had a couple L's. You know, big old fat L's. We get you know halfway home and they're like, what the fuck. You know, yeah. the tires are flying off and shit. Yeah. But for the most part, you know, we were turning good money in and it was good. It, it even got to the point where James and I looked at each other. Now, granted, I've always been between us, the fast talking, you know, I grew up poor. So I was, I was hustling, man, always. And hustling has this negative connotation. Like, oh, this guy's a shyster. He's a whatever. It's so and, silly. And it's unfortunate that yeah. there's a negative connotation with hustling. Con man ruined things for the honest people. Yeah. Without a doubt. And I mean, you look at people like Gary V, who is Captain Hustle. Yeah. So he says, I, I don't know much about Gary V, but the guy's intense. He's like, fuck your excuses. Get <laughs> off your ass, you fuck. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I sort of love that mentality. I know very little about him, but I love that mentality. And, but, you know, say if that guy's in law knew who Gary V was, they're probably like, oh, he's jobless or whatever. Yeah. And he probably owns a thousand Bitcoin. Yeah. You know, who knows what that guy has? Gary V does own a lot of Bitcoin. Yeah, so it's one of those things because he was hustling and said, oh, fuck you guys. You don't buy into this, I'll buy into it. Yeah. And now he is what he is. So there, there's a negative connotation with people that hustle. And as we are hustling and getting all these car deals done, I learned that uh, that, you know, I could talk to people a certain way. I could... I don't want to say manipulate it because that's not it. No, it's influence and persuasion. Yeah, for sure. And so there would be times I would get involved in car deals... And then it got to the point where, you know, my guitarist looked at me and he says, man, are, are we going out of moral bounds? Because there was a deal that I had three deals in the works. I was checking out three eBay auctions and on the way or two rather. And on the way to those two, I saw a motorcycle that was for sale. Well, I already knew the value of motorcycles because I, I rode and I saw it. I'm like, what the heck? That's really cheap. And I was just looking at these on 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 uh, like a cycle trader, yeah. and I know this thing. I could get another thousand for that thing. Yeah. So on the way to these two other deals, we stopped by this uh, this motorcycle that was in the back of a guy's truck, and um, I said, "What's going on?" He goes, "Yeah, man, it's a Honda Hurricane. It just don't run." I'm like, "Huh? You mind if I look at it?" And I looked at it, and uh, now I used to work on you know mini bikes and I built my own go karts and shit. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, when you winterize them, the first thing you do, you pull the fuel plug or the fuel line and you, you seal it. Yeah. You know, sometimes with a screw. Uh, so no moisture gets in. You just screw it in and then you put it back into the carburetor. And uh, when the spring hits and flush it out and you're good. Uh, this had a screw in the fuel line. <laughs> so when I tried starting it, the guy's like, yeah, man, I've just been going through battery after battery. I'm like, oh. So I'm starting it. I'm like, well, it's not firing. Yeah, I mean, that's what I can't figure out. And me being someone who comes from logic when I try to figure things out, like, well, if there's no combustion, there's probably no fuel or oxygen. Yeah. Uh, and it sounds like it's getting plenty of oxygen because you can hear it breathing. Absolutely. But there's no fuel. So I look down, start fucking with it, and I see the screw in the fuel line, and I unscrew it a little bit. And there's fuel in the tank because the guy's like, yeah, it's fueled up, man, so I don't know what the hell. And I unscrew it with my left hand as he's on my right side, and fuel is coming out. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to take a chance at this. I said, man, what do you what do you want for this? He goes, well, I got a thousand on it. So the fucking thing don't run. Yeah. I said, I, I it might need a new engine. Yeah. And and you know, James is looking at me. He's like, what the fuck are we doing? We're going to buy this. 
you know, we're going to buy these other two cars. We don't have the capital to fuck with this guy. And I said, no, man. I said, I'll give you 500 for it. He goes, fuck, I can't take 500. I said, well, I have 500 if you want to take it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he huffed around and he said, 500 cash. I said, do you have the title? He goes, yeah. I said, all right, well, you guys are, they, they were like some, uh, lawnmower dealership. So, uh, for whatever reason they had a notary. Yeah. And I said, well, you guys are open. You guys have notary. If so, I'll give you 500. You have the title. We'll sign it over. He signed it over to me right then. I gave him the 500 and I got it off his thing. Went back to my house about five miles away, picked up the trailer. I already was in touch with the guy who down uh, from Honda Marysville. Uh, he worked there looking for an old CBR Honda hurricane. And uh, we loaded it in the trailer, not knowing if it runs, sold it to the guy that day. I put up an ad that day, uh, just loaded it in the thing, taking it down because I knew there was, there was in high demand because it was going into the season, Yeah, you know, and that's the best time to sell a motorcycle in Ohio. Spring. It's like spring. Yeah. Oh, when people yeah, want to get so out, out of the cold weather. Yeah. Best time yeah. to buy them. If you can get a motorcycle in December, do it. Some people still ride in the wintertime. Yeah. Fucking nuts. And fucking idiots. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They, you think black ice is bad when you got four wheels. Uh, yeah. Two get wheels. on it with two. Yeah. Yeah. And, and meet your maker. But it, it was one of those things that uh, we we took the chance and and I put up an ad right in Cycle Trader that exact moment that we loaded it up in our trailer and we took it down the road. I got a call from a guy. I put it up for twenty two hundred to get a call from a guy, and uh, he's down in Marysville and he goes, "Yo, man, uh, it looks like it's in great shape." I said, "Yeah, it's in real nice shape." And uh, I said, "I just it's been winterized, so I haven't even started it this year." Yeah, because you know, I didn't want to get there and be like, ah, yeah. And he goes, tell you what, if you can deliver it to me, I'll give you, uh, I'll give you eighteen hundred. Deal. And I said, all right, where do you live? He goes, just a little town called Kenton, outside of Marysville. Oh shit! I yeah. said, oh, well, on the way. <laughs> you know, so we go back home, pull up MapQuest. You know, because back then there's no you know, GPS. There's no GPS. No. Uh, Yahoo Maps and MapQuest. Yeah, MapQuest. You're typing it in. You got your co-pilot looking at some charts. I mean, you're effectively, you know, mariners on the open road. Yeah. And uh, minus the star maps. And uh, so we get down to this guy, and we've never loaded a motorcycle on a trailer, and an enclosed trailer. And uh, we get there, and the guy's like, hey, guys, what's up? And, and we open the trailer, and the bike's on its side. So we tied it down, and we thought we tied it down good. But uh, apparently there's a trick. Still to this day, not very good with figuring that shit out. And uh, so the bike's on its side. There's gasoline everywhere. Oh, no. Oil everywhere. Oh, no. And the guy's like, ah, what the fuck? I'm like, oh, no, man, I think it's still good. So we lifted it up. And we were at least smart enough because we knew we were too stupid, obviously, to tie it down properly. But we weren't too dumb to not have padding and stuff. Yeah. So we put down like padding and cushions. So all the pillows, we had to throw those out blankets. So it really didn't get hurt. And, uh, so I pulled it out and the guy's like, well, uh, do you mind if I take it out? And I said, well, let me just, you know, like I said, we just put new gas in it and it was just tipped over for a little bit. Let me let it sit. And, uh, and I hooked up the gas line. Nothing. Nothing. I'm like, oh shit, this might be bad. Yeah. You know, and and at the time I knew, okay, this guy works for Honda. He could probably still get a a thousand out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Quick 500 and be good. And, uh, and finally I was about to give up and then, uh, just, (laughs) oh man, fired it up. And I'm like, okay, cool. And I was so amped. My adrenaline was so gone because I saw the guy's face when I got it going, just 
smile from cheek to cheek, ear to yeah, ear, yeah. you know, just cheekiest smile ever. And I said, oh, yes, I'm going to get so much money now. And I gunned it, man, like a whiskey throttle. <laughs> and I did a wheelie down this golf course where we met. <laughs> this whole land, wee! Like, oh, shit! Slammed down the front end. Yeah. And I didn't lay it down, but I slammed it down. And, uh, and you know, when you do an accidental wheelie, like, it's sort of scary. Yeah. You know, and this bike had a lot of power. And yeah. it was just starving for fuel. So once it finally hit, man, it was like a pack of a 1,000 horses. And uh, so it's cool. So we turned the profit. Uh, the, the guy the guy gave us the, uh, the money. Uh, we made good profit on it. Uh, signed the title over and and I gave him the old excuse. I'm like, yeah, let me, uh, let me, you know, just give us a, a check. We'll hold it until we can get the title over to you. Came back the next day, gave him the title and, uh, he qualified the check. So it was, uh, that was to the point where we came into question of like, okay, morally, how far can we take this selling something that we, I mean, cause we effectively sold it before we owned it, almost, yeah. you know? And so we started getting into like the morality of, okay, where's the line? You know, is that acceptable? And I said, man, listen, we, I agree. We do have to draw a moral line somewhere. And I said, my moral line, this is before I really got into my identity. I said, I think the only way you can definitively draw that line is by saying he's an adult. I'm an adult. Yeah. I'm not trying to pull the wool over his eyes and he's not trying to pull the wool over my eyes. However, he wants something the cheapest and I want something for the most. Yeah. So if we meet in the middle, th- that's the line. Yeah. And, and we looked at each other and we're like, yeah, okay, we're good with that. And, uh, it's so, not like you were intent. It, it'd be one thing if you knew like a car was a piece of shit and then you were trying to yeah, sell it for sure. And like what, like the people who would sell you stuff and the wheels would fall off. But I think it's, it's another thing if the guy didn't know enough about motorcycles and he was trying to sell it. I mean, right. he could have taken it into his spot to get it looked yeah. at and it would have been probably a simple thing, but he didn't yeah. do that. Exactly. And, uh, you know, he wanted it for whatever he wanted it for. But so once we set the uh, sort of our line in the sand of saying, okay, this, we still feel good about this. Um, we start selling more cars and there was, uh, this all takes me into the story that uh, there's a point where, um, there, there's a point where we found a deal on, and at the time we found that the best selling vehicles in Ohio were Hondas, yeah. Honda Civics, Honda Accords. Uh, they had the best resale. I mean, there are several days, the day I bought one, I yes. turned around and sold so. another one. Yep. And it was just that quick and it, and it made everything feel just like, hey, man, this is easy. Yeah. You know? The hardest thing to do about this is keeping within the spirit of some mystical title God. <laughs> that was the hardest thing. You know, we're good with our gods, but damn, the title God, that's that's a rough business. Absolutely. You know, I didn't read about that in Greek mythology. And uh, and so we got into it. And uh, so one, late one night, I uh, I was on eBay with my buddies and we we're all drinking and and just playing risk probably, you know, we always got into these nine hour risk Board games. games. Yeah. Oh yeah. We just loved it. You know? Yeah. And, uh, so we were playing this and we we're just killing like 30 packs of MGD, you know, cause we were pro cast people for the most you part. You guys are in a band too. Yeah. We're in a band and, That's a, and one of the band's favorite P- PBR and MGD. Yeah. Couldn't do PBR. I mean, looking back, probably couldn't do MGD either, yeah. but it was one of those things that we were like, yeah. We got to drink something, and Mountain Dew's not cool anymore. No. Although I still love it to this day. <laughs> um, but uh, I was on eBay just messing around, and, and I was like, damn, look at this deal. 
And my buddy's like, yeah, it sort of looks like a piece of shit. And I'm like, yeah, it's from Buffalo. So it's going to have some issues. Rust stuff and everything. Yeah, and, and the rust looked all right, you know. Uh, but being from Buffalo, I was just like, eh. The guy was a wholesaler. Mm. And uh, and and the deal was about to go down. And it was about to go down at like 6 in the morning. So anytime deals go like end at 6, generally speaking, that's when the guy is wake for business. Yeah. You know, because there's, there's something to... Uh, good times to put up deals, you know, and when they end. And coincidentally, that's not a good time to end deals. It's yeah. best to end deals around 4 or 5 p.m. So everybody's awake. You know, the third shifter, second shifter, everybody's awake. Yeah. And everybody can bid at the very last minute. Well, this was going on at 6. I'm like, man, 5 or 6. And I said, man, I think we can get this really cheap. Like, really cheap. And this was before, like, on eBay, all the bids... So I don't even know why people bid in the first if they, it's a five day auction. I don't know why they ever bid in the first four days. I don't know why. Unless you're the person holding the auction. Yes. Well, and that shit happens price. all the time. Yeah. Which is the other reason why I decided in my line of morality, sorry, eBay, X gets the square. Fuck you guys. Let's use the word <laughs> ethics. I hate morality, Luke. <laughs> ethics. Okay. ethics. Your, your line of ethics. Your line of ethics. Yeah. Sorry for being for the semantics. Yeah, no, uh, we can split hairs, and you're probably right. I'm sort of an idiot when it comes Not to this really. stuff. Not really. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, the ethics, I just said, yeah, fuck you guys. Uh, mine supersede yours. And that's that. Um, so I ended up getting this car for like $850. It's a good deal. Real good deal. Yeah. And uh, so we go six in the morning after being up. We already worked that day, already delivered pizzas, you know, sold a car probably. Yeah. And uh, now we're 30 pack in to MGD. <laughs> and you're going to go to Buffalo. After risk. And I looked at my buddy. I'm like, yo, man, uh, how awake are you? You guys not awake at all. I'm like, uh, good. I need you to drive to Buffalo with me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we're about five hours out of Buffalo. Yeah. And, um, and he goes, what the fuck? I said, yeah, I got this auction. I want to go see this thing. And, uh, I don't really want to go to Buffalo. Yeah. So I'm going to need you to go to Buffalo. He goes, I'll go to Buffalo only on one occasion, only on one, one reason will I go to <laughs> Buffalo. And I said, what's that? And he's like a big bro. You know, this guy that, uh, I'm referring to. And, um, I said, okay, what, well, what's the reason? And he goes, I want to see Niagara Falls. It's not far. And I'm like, But it's oh. shitty from the New York side. Yeah, and, and I just thought, out of all the things, I thought we were stopping at the Anchor Bar or something, <laughs> you know, eat some chicken wings and beer at, like, noon. Yeah. No, he wants to go see a waterfall. Yeah. Okay, deal. <laughs> so we're making, like, good good time. We're driving, like, 100 miles per hour, and he's following behind me. And, um, and we're getting tired. We pass Erie, PA. So we're in like the home stretch, you know, we get to uh, Niagara, uh, look out, see what's going on. It's, it's beautiful. Of course, you know, just seeing all that. Uh, and we're like, okay, well, it's not too beautiful that we're tired. So we're going to leave. Yeah. So we make it, uh, this, this dealership and, uh, this guy's named Jim, by the way. And, uh, make it to the dealership. The guys Jim's Jim. the, the dealership guy. Dealership Jim. guy. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> And there's a reason if if anybody's made it this far in the podcast, there's a reason that I I remember certain people yeah. and I don't remember certain people. Yeah. And this is a little foreshadowing into this. But um uh, so we get there, I see the Honda and I jump into it and and the guy misrepresented the car for sure. 100%. Yeah. yeah. 
and uh, it's probably 9 a.m. And uh, so it's still pretty early, but I'm way, I'm, I'm more than 24 hours awake and still five hours away from home. Man, I got a pocket full of cash and I take the car down the road and clearly there's a bearing out and a CV joint. Uh, I could hear it. You know, you take a corner when you're in with cars, like you can start hearing little ticks. Absolutely. And I hear it and I say, yo man, you didn't tell me a bearings out of this. He's like, Oh no man. Yeah, no, it's good. I'm like, listen, you hear the, I said, that's a bearing. Yeah. Hey, well, how do you know? I said, because if I jolt left real quick, it goes away <laughs> because there's no pressure on that bearing. Yeah. So I'm going to jolt left. Wah, wah, wah. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> Okay, uh, well, you don't want the car? I'm like, well, I'm not going to give you what your you, eBay price was. Yeah. So you're going to have to eat that. And he goes, well, what are you going to give me? I was like, I'll give you a 650 And that's bottom line. I said, this has some dents on it and shit. I said, uh, you know, he goes, fine, man, 650 <laughs> So give him the money. Signs over the, uh, signs over the assignment of the title, the bill of sale. Yeah. And we start going down the road. And we get about into Erie, PA, heading back toward Ohio. I get a call from Jim. Hey, man, uh, did I leave my dealer tag on the back of your car? <laughs> like, uh, hold on. So I get on my cell phone, call the guy that's following behind me, my buddy. And I said, yo, can you see if there's a dealer tag on the back of the car? Yeah. He goes, nope. I said, are you sure? You're looking. He goes, there's no dealer tag on the back of the car. Okay. I called Jim back. Jim, there's no dealer tag. Fuck, man. I don't know what I did with it. It must have fallen off when we were taking for the test drive and you were jolting around trying to show me about the wheel bearing. I'm like, hey, uh, sorry. I, I mean, it's your fault. Yeah, it's your fault. So, yeah, yeah. you know, sorry. Uh, you know, if for whatever reason I find it, you know, y'all be in touch. Okay. So we get the car back. Since this car is a big piece of shit, this is one of the cars that we aren't turning very quick. Yeah. And uh, so I'm driving it around. You know, it's my driver car. And uh, I get pulled over. And a cop comes up and uh, from a little town comes up. He says, yo, uh, this car's stolen. What? And I show him all of the paperwork. I'm like, listen, if it's stolen, it's not on my end. So I paid the shows I paid. This is that. This is the title. This is everything. He goes, uh, and that's time I had the assignment of title. So in the car world, I'm still waiting on the physical title, but I have a paper that says the title is in the mail. It's in yeah. Because a lot of times these guys jump titles. Yeah. You know, they'll sell something when they don't even own the damn thing. Yeah. And, uh, and they're just getting out of taxes, and I understand the game. Uh, so I tell the cop, and it was it it was good enough for the cop. He, okay. Yeah. Uh, be on your way. So we get into the next town, get pulled over again in the next town. So we go from Butler to Belleville, which is about eight miles away. Get pulled over in Belleville. Hey, uh, you know your car's stolen? I'm like, you know, that's weird because the last guy in Butler just pulled us over, said it was stolen. Now, at this time, I have my friends with me and I have my wife with me, uh, girlfriend at the time. And, uh, and they said, yeah, it's stolen. And I said, no, man, I'll show you the same stuff. Showed this guy. Suffice to say, he let us go. I said, okay. So we go to Denny's in Ontario, Ohio, which is another 10 miles away. And we're just chilling out, having a good time. We see the Ontario police. We see sheriffs. And we see the Belleville and Butler police all circling Denny's. 
So what? So did Jim call and say it was stolen or what the hell? No, here's where it gets good. Uh, this is where it gets real crazy. And, and this is actually where it gets into why I am where I am. Yeah. And, uh, this is why I thought it was important to get this in there. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so the Butler cop comes in, he was the first one to pull us over comes in Denny's and uh, we're, you know, it's a busy night, like 2am bar crowds letting out and, uh, Denny's is packed. And I'm like, all right, guys, my whole table of, you know, we had some other friends meet us out there and, and I was like, guys, this has got to be for me. You know, there's, I, let's put two and two together. Like the Belleville Butler, everybody's in Ontario way out this of the a, jurisdiction. This is a car from Buffalo, Buffalo, New York. Yep. Okay. And so I get up, walk toward him. And they, they seem like suspicious, you know? And I'm like, guys, what's going on? They're like, you're Luke Edwards, right? I said, yeah. They said, uh, well, we talked to you earlier. I said, yeah, no shit. And you let me go. Yeah. What's up? He goes, we have a problem. And at the time I was looking out at the car and then a statey pulled up and a statey looked in the car and he was looking at the back window. I'm like, why is he looking at the back window? You know, I thought they were looking at the VIN, which is in the front window. And uh, I'm like, why is he looking at the back window? He goes, can we go outside and talk? I said, sure. And at this time, everybody in Denny's is wondering what the fuck is going on. Yeah. And uh, and everybody's just staring. Everybody's like, fork is down. Everybody's looking at me and four different branches of law enforcement through five different jurisdictions, if you will. And uh, and they said, uh, this, this car is not stolen. I said, yeah, no shit. So this license plate is. So what? So did you not see the guy's uh, so temp tags? The was- guy put the dealer tag in the back window, and in the back window, it fell down behind the back seat rest. Oh. And so when I asked my buddy when we were driving back, do you see it on the back of the car? Because I thought he stuck yeah. it like a magnet. Well, how, like how long did it take for you in between the two um like to figure that out, like how long ago was it? From- this is about thirty days. Okay, so, so I've been a car about thirty days. Yep. Yeah. So the the temp tag is like you put your own plates on, you don't see it. You don't. Yeah, pay not yeah, because I still had the temp tag. So oh, you had your r- own temp tag. Yeah, so it's there's right two temp around. Tags. Yeah, so it's right around. So there's the temp, and there was the dealer plate. Huh. But the dealer plate was hidden because I, I didn't at the time I lived in an apartment that when I went to get walk from my front door, I'm walking to the driver's side. Yeah. You don't see the, I'm not walking from behind the car. Well, it's just like anybody that's had, uh, somebody put a bumper sticker on the back of their car and they never notice it. Never it's the it. same shit. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and even if I walked from behind, unless I had stuck my head over, yeah, you know, but coincidentally when cops approach vehicles, they approach it from behind mm-hmm. with their mag lights out. And, uh, and when they showed it to me, like a dumbass, you know, looking back, dumbass, at the time, I still felt like I was okay. Yeah. I said, holy shit. And they said, what? And when they said what, I shouldn't have said, I should have just said lawyer. Yeah. But I didn't. I said, that's Jim's. Yeah. They're like, what do you mean that's Jim's? I said, the guy called me, asked me if this was, this was on the car. I told him no. Yeah. They're like, so you knew that's not yours. Yeah, said, I said, I of course it's not mine. Yeah, but you I said didn't, I didn't know it was there. I didn't even know it was there. But they're like, but you're saying you know that's not yours. Yeah. I said, of course. Yeah, fucking dicks. And here it goes. Yeah. Yeah. So one cop decides to pull out the handcuffs. And I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. He goes, well, 
I'm not to lock you up. I said, you're not fucking putting those on me. Yeah. I didn't do anything, man. Yeah. And then I started getting bent out of shape. And I was more fit then, and uh, I, I had a lot more piss and vinegar. How old were you? Um, I, this was this was 04, so I was probably 23. Yeah, so that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I was pretty amped up on yeah. craziness. And actually, 005. Yeah. And... Uh, and I was just amped up, and I was like, "Man, this is this is crazy." I don't, I don't know what the fuck you guys are doing. I, you're not taking me to jail. I didn't do anything wrong. I said, "Call Jim." I have his number in my phone, and I said, oh, "Okay." So the one cop was like, "All right, let's give him a minute." And the good thing is, at the time, my drummer, my drummer's dad was a state highway patrol, and the one guy knew me through him, and he's like, "No, let's just give him a minute. Let's hear him out." And I pull up Jim on the phone, and it's two in the morning. Yeah. So Buffalo time, even though it's same time zone, those East Coasters go to sleep even earlier. You yeah. Because it's almost a different time zone. <laughs> yeah. And so it's really three to that guy. Yeah. So he wakes up. Oh, hello. Hey Jim, this is Luke. I bought that car off you about a month ago. Uh, man, it's not my responsibility for broke. <laughs> I'm like, dude, it didn't break. But listen. And then I said, I need you to speak with somebody. He goes, What? I said. Uh, I need you to speak with the cop. Man, I don't want to talk to the cops. I need you to speak with them. So I hand my phone to the police officer. Says, hey, this is Detective. I don't even remember the guy's name. Says, hey, we have Luke here with us. Um, was it was it true that that uh, that this tag, that you called Luke about it? He goes, yeah. I asked him if he had it, and he said he didn't. And uh, and then I reported it stolen because I went back to video camera and I saw him and his buddy steal it. Wow, what a piece of shit. And I said, wait, what? And at that time, I couldn't hear that conversation. Unfortunately, I couldn't even get that conversation until the victim impact statement came out. And uh, I didn't know what was going on. And one of the cops that was amped to lock me up earlier Busted out his handcuffs, and then he tried to lock me up. I pushed him down. Other cop tried to lock me up, and I got into this skirmish with a bunch of law enforcement, (sighs) quickly realizing "Eh, it's probably not a good idea. And then uh, a guy swooped in from Ontario that also knew my drummer's dad. Luke, calm down, calm down. Now, by this time, my girlfriend, who is now my wife, she was running out in tears, like, what the fuck is going on? And uh, running out in tears, like, not knowing what's going on. My friends were like, what the fuck? Luke's pushing out cops. This is crazy. And I was in like full fight mode. I'll take them all. I don't give a shit. Yeah. Cause it was to me what's right. It's what's right. Yeah. Just um, standing up for you didn't steal anything. You didn't yeah. do anything wrong. It's weird. Well, it's weird you say that. And I believe you. And I still yeah. believe to this day I didn't steal anything. But here's where it gets good. So um we're gonna fast forward through all the bullshit. They book me and I talk to my dad. I'm like, Dad, what the fuck? And he goes, You need a lawyer. Yeah. And there's this firm. That's really good. It's McCowan, McCowan, and Eister in Shelby, Ohio. And I said, oh, okay. Why are they good? He goes, I just heard I listen to talk radio all the time when I'm in the truck. And I'm just telling you, they just took on this huge case and they won. And it was some injustice. And I'm like, okay, McCowan, McCowan, and Eister. Okay, cool. So I get a hold of McCowan, McCowan. And they're like, well, we're going to put you on with our associate. I'm like, oh, Okay. And so they give me this Eister guy. It's Gordon Eister. <laughs> it's like such a fake name. Oh, well, yeah. And um, and so he comes in and he goes, well, what do you tried on? And I tell him the story. And he goes, well, I believe you. But unfortunately, since that license plate was considered stolen um, and it went across state lines, although it's only a $30 piece of property, since it's a state property item and it went across state lines, it's considered a felony five. 
And then you also attacked police officers. They actually they they, they didn't charge you for that. Didn't charge me. The, Probably because uh, you're you're the guys that knew. Yeah, the Ontario guy was the one that booked me. If the sheriff would have ended up booking me, then they would have. Yeah, that's but good. Ontario was like, yo, boys, this is our jurisdiction. Yeah, and it was funny. It was like the movies. Like everybody was calling jurisdiction. Interesting. And uh, so I, I really lucked out there. Uh, but they got me for receiving stolen property, felony in a fifth degree. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was really crazy. And I'm like, so I'm telling uh, Gordon Eister this and I said, yo, uh, what can we do? He goes, well, if you didn't steal it, we're going to fight. I just need $10,000. Wow. Like interesting. (laughs) That's a lot of money. Yeah. Even from some dudes that are slinging cars. That's a lot of, that's That's a lot of of money. Change. He goes, well, it's a felony and that's my retainer. Yeah. And so I just see my dad saying, well, these guys, they just took on a big case and they won. So I maxed out some credit cards, got all my scratch together, all my touring money together. And, and, uh, we hired this guy and, you know, after continuance and continuance and discovery hearings and everything else. And we'll read a victim impact statement from this guy that just made the entire story up. You know, this guy, and that's the time I was studying some law. You yeah. Know, I loved law. I wanted to be a lawyer. And uh, so I knew a little bit of my workings around some court cases and documents and law. And uh, and I got into it with this guy, and and uh, and he had no idea. He just said, we're going to take it to a jury trial. And, and looking back, I wish I did. Because the jurors, they would have nullified this bullshit. Yeah. But he wanted, at the point, we went through that 10000 and then he wanted more money. You need more money. I said, no, come on, man. No more. So I'm in the middle for my brother's wedding. This is 06 at this point. My brother's about to get married. So this is almost a year going on. My brother's about to get married, and I get a call from Gordon Eister. And he says, Luke, I, I, uh, we have a, a meeting when you get back, obviously. He goes, um, I have some information for you. I said, okay, what's that? He goes, well, I think he quoted the 27th statute of uh, the laws defining receiving stolen property in the Ohio Revised Code is that if you knowingly have possession of something that is not yours, you are in your within the, the law of you know breaking the law. But you didn't know it until the cops pointed it out to you. But they pointed it out to me, and that's when I admitted I knew uh, it was not mine. Yeah. So now the victim impact statement was such that it came back into question because I said, okay, well, now I know I'm against this law. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Okay. Well, now I'm out 10K. Now I'm I'm outside the law. I'm in Oklahoma <laughs> trying to figure out what the fuck to do. And, uh, and I get an idea. And I said, okay. We meet when I get back, and I said, okay, we have a, another pretrial hearing tomorrow. And I said, look at this victim impact statement. So is this shit going down the same time as the bank and you guys getting hustled? Uh, no, the bank money? the bank was after that, coincidentally. Interesting. Yeah, the bank was after that. And this is why I really wanted to go back to this. Yeah, yeah, because it was like a couple th- things adding th- up. This was a couple things adding up to make me want to blow up the world. For you to, for you to, <laughs> for you to play poker when you hated poker. Yeah, uh, a couple things led to that. And... Uh, and it got to the point where, uh, so I, I have an idea and we look at the impact statement and the guy, I said, right here, we already know what the law states. We already know that I broke the law. I said, however, the impact statement suggests that there's criminal intent. Now with the receiving stolen property, they has to, there doesn't require intent, no intent. Um, 
But I said, interesting enough, this victim impact statement actually jeopardizes sort of the idea that we had stolen property. I said, so it sort of puts the onus on this guy that he falsified a report and saying it was stolen. Yeah. Because he was saying it was stolen based on he saw us steal it. And that wasn't the case. So I said, I do sort of want to take this to a jury trial because I can in, I can make his character shit. Yeah, and then he has to come to Ohio too. Mm-hmm. And then also you have to have discovery for said surveillance Tapes. footage. Yes. Yeah. So I brought that up. Guy coincidentally doesn't have the surveillance footage on that day. Hmm. I, and I asked my lawyer and I said, well, that looks good for us, right? He goes, eh. And at the time, looking back, the lawyer just wanted more money. He yeah. didn't give a fuck about me. No, of course not. And um, and he goes, tell you what, here's what we're going to do. I said, what? He goes, we're going to, you've never really done anything before, you know, in your adult life. Obviously, what I, what I talked about in my juvenile life. Yeah. But in Richland County, everything was sealed. And uh, he goes, you've never done anything as an adult. We're going to get you on what we call diversion probation. I said, diversion? Okay, so effectively I'm on probation. If I don't do anything, the charge is dropped, right? He goes, yeah, fair enough. So he goes, I'm going to have a meeting with the assistant prosecutor tomorrow. Her name is Patty Massey. I said, okay. And uh, he goes, you just go, and you're effectively going to allocute. You're going to tell them what you did. I said, easy enough. And they're going to stamp you approved, and then you're going to go to the judge. You're going to get your sentencing, and then you're going to not do shit for two years probably. Yeah. And you're going to be just out this 10K. You're probably going to have to pay a fine, and you're going to be good. Okay, easy enough, whatever. So I have a meeting with Patty Massey and uh, sit down, and she goes, all right, well, tell me what you did. I said, okay. Tell her the whole story. And she has this big fucking rubber stamp. She has two of them. She's like, I, I don't even know how to describe it. But she pulls out one, gets it filled with ink, and goes, shpack, denied. What? On my application. I said, what? Why am I denied? And she goes, you didn't admit guilt. I said, there's no level of intent required yeah. with receiving stolen property. Yeah. My guilt wasn't that I intended to commit a crime. My guilt came from ignorance. Me being ignorant to the fact that I had possession of property that was not mine. Yeah. And she goes, no. And the next day I get a call from Gordon and he goes, Luke. Yeah. Gordon. He goes, why didn't you just tell her what she wanted to hear? Well, motherfucker, you You never told me to do that. To tell her what I, she needed to hear. Yeah. You piece of garbage. He goes, well, I told you the law. Yeah, no shit you told me the law. Now, back then, you can't just Google the ORC. Like, these guys have bookshelves looking shit up. And obviously, it took this guy a year to come up with the 27th statute of of this bullshit. And uh, so I was pissed. Now, here's the the big thing. If you you get a – if you get a non-acceptance into this program, it's considered guilt. Wow. So there's no more change of plea, no more nothing. So it's guilt. So I go back in front of the judge and I'm sentencing because it goes to guilty and he sentences me and he says, well, uh, would you like to say anything? And my attorney is like, don't talk. I said, no, I'm going to talk. Yeah. And I tell the judge and the judge is like, I don't, I don't, effectively, I don't give a fuck what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay, I see how this is going. Yeah. And so they send me to $5,000 fine, um, two years probation. Uh, Did you get a felony? Yeah, felony five. Fuck. Yeah, good times, and that's that's what led me to working. At that point, you have to be self-employed. Yep, and you don't have a you don't have a choice. Yeah, 
and that's that's how it ties all into it um so that's so crazy man so the job I had, I was, you know, in between tours and stuff. And now it's harder to buy a car yeah. because you can't, you know, going out of state, there's just a lot of crazy things, you know? So now where we're hovering the line between not manipulating title law, but like we're, we're walking a thin line. Now this all goes up with this two years probation that I'm on and I can't do this, that, and the other, I can't go out of state now. Um, it was hard to get the tours approved. So, uh, I went, you know, started working for this pizza shop catering outfit. And, uh, she was the only one that would be willing to hire me cause she was a family friend. And, uh, and so it wasn't until, uh, it wasn't until that, you know, a year later that the, uh, the thing happens that the lady gets me out of all that money, start playing poker to get that money back. Well, after I did that, I was still going to be working with this lady. And, uh, there's a guy that when I was working with her, there's a guy that, uh, you know, I got all the money back, gave it to us bank, told him to go suck it. And, uh, went to report into the drive that night for, her. and the next day we were supposed to have this promo thing with, uh, I think saliva or some band up in, uh, okay. up in, uh, at like the Odeon or, or the Agora up in Cleveland. And she called me and she goes, Hey Luke, uh, I know you worked last night, Friday night, got out like 3 AM. Uh, there's a big catering lunch tomorrow. I said, okay. And by tomorrow, you mean like in six hours? She goes, yeah. I said, Brenda, I'll be there, you know? And so I was there. I did a catering job. Uh, everybody else called off for lunch. So I got the two catering jobs ready for the drivers to take it, deliver it. And I did like a $650 lunch by myself <laughs> at the pizza shop. And, uh, and the manager came in, a uh, young guy, young buck, just out of the Navy. And, you know, he thought he was the shit. Uh, he comes in and, and I said, yo, uh, you know, I, Josh, I really need to get up to the show. Uh, you know, we can't miss loading. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, I said, okay, so here's the deal. I did that catering job, that catering job. This, uh, we did the lunch. Lunch is complete. Uh, counted down to register. It's good. Um there's other things I got together for the second catering job. It's back in the walk-in. So when the driver gets back, just send uh, Jeremiah out with the rest of the stuff and uh, we're going to be good to go. And he goes, all right, man. Yeah, good, good. So, uh, so I start heading North and I get this call from this lady, Brenda, and she, she's a great lady, but she always secretly hated me because uh, I was a libertarian and she, you know, liberals suggest libertarians are Republicans. Yeah. For some reason, yeah, they don't understand that we have a lot. We're, we have we, a lot more in common with liberals. Well, we well we have we a. With it's weird. It's like liberals and conservatives have a lot more in common with us or with with each other than they do us. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Jonathan Haidt's done a lot of research on it, like the righteous mind and. Oh, okay. That's he's. He, you should check him out. He does some good work. But anyway, so I think she secretly hated you because you loved. Well, freedom. she loved. She knew. That she loved how I treated her business and how I yeah. treated her customers. And maybe it was in one part knowing that, well, this is all I have. I have no one else will hire me. Yeah. Because in that time, I tried to get another job. And they're like, oh, well, what's this felony? Yeah. And then you try to tell an employer, they're like, now they're, fuck. Now they're a lot more forgiving of felonies. But yeah, because <laughs> they have to be because everybody has Absolutely. them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and but back then, man, no, no one, no one, and in Mansfield, the the unemployment rate was 
through the roof so everybody the employers could take the best the cream of the crop yeah and although as a kick-ass worker no one wanted to give me a chance because they're like what the fuck he's telling me some convoluted story about yeah. some bullshit you know and uh so um we're on the way up there and i get this call from the owner and she's screeching wow and uh this lady just like screeching and i'm like listen bren calm down what's wrong well, apparently the second catering job, uh, the manager never told this this delivery guy to drop off the second thing that I had ready in the, the walk-in. So they didn't get like half of their catering. And so the thing just went completely awry. Wow. And I'm like, Brenda, listen, I told Josh, your manager that you put in charge, yeah, that there was the rest of the stuff back there. I also told Josh, do you need me to do anything else? And he said, no. I left. This is what I want to do. You know that. Well, if that's what you want to do, then fuck you. Wow. And you fucking go do that. Wow. Very and mature. So, yeah. Oh, it was hardcore. <laughs> and I can't say as an employer myself now that I haven't had lapses of immaturity or just complete childish behavior. Well, I mean, you're, but you're the one that's responsible for everything. And you, you spend a lot of time in your business. Like, yeah. so it's, it's different. And, from my experience, man, you're a lot more patient with people than I would be. Unfortunately. Yeah. yeah that's, that's been one you of give, my downfalls for You sure. give people, well, I mean, and here's the thing, it's easy for me to say, but man, I, nobody likes to fire anyone. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's, that's, that's the worst thing. It's like, why do I, I don't want to have to hire anybody else. Right. So why yeah, can't Yeah, I'd you... rather just make you better. Exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. despite myself. Exactly. And, uh, well, when she fired me, you know, I was, I was physically upset and we're on the way to do the show and, you know, and my guitarist hears what's going on. He's like, what the fuck, man? You've done so much for this company in three, yeah. three years that you worked there. I said, yeah. Worst thing is now I don't know what I'm going to do because I've been looking for a second job. Yeah. I can't find one. And I have to have a job to be on probation. Wow. And that's, that's cool little, cool little <laughs> thing they do to you. It's like the old catch 22. Well, you have a job. If you don't have a job, then you got to go back in the slammer. Yeah. I mean, you gotta, you gotta, I mean, it is, that's part of the system. And, uh, and so I didn't know what I do. And I said, well, um, I made a bunch of money playing poker one time <laughs> and, and that's what took me to that effectively. So how did you, because back then it was, so you were, you were on one of the riverboat casinos or. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you weren't technically out of the state, but you weren't technically in the state. No, no. It was so it's funny because the riverboat side of it is sort of a joke. Yeah. Um, I went to the Belterra when I was like 19 okay, and yeah. like 2003. Okay. And I, and it, you had to be 21 to play. Yep. You had to be 21 to gamble there. Mm-hmm. So I just hung out and swam in the pool and yeah. ate places and I yeah. had my mom. And did you notice, although the Belterra is on the Ohio River, supposedly, yeah, it's not floating. No, man. If that Ohio River jumps up 21 feet, you're fucked. Yeah. Everybody's underwater. The reason is because they put concrete slabs in the river. So the law is so fucked that, I mean, going back to the prohibition thing that... They said, well, it has to be underwater because it has to be able to be on the water because it can't be on the land because the land is its own sovereign land of that state in which it yeah, lies. The in. spirit of that land. The spirit of that land. Yeah. 
Uh, the spirit so, of Ohio. Yeah, you know, these billionaires, they're like, well, we've been around laws before, so we'll just yeah. put it on stilts in the water yep. so people can go to it. So these aren't boats. They no. they sort of make it look a little like a boat. Yeah, but it's it's a hotel that it has is. a part of it that's on water. And right, you've got to walk you across the boardwalk. Yeah. But even there, I, man, it, it was like weird because it was like pretty much the boardwalk was security. Like it is. The, yeah, yep. it's the security point. Yep. And that was a lot. I mean, I only went there the one time. Yeah. And that was like right out of freshman year of college. And it was fun, but I didn't gamble. Yeah. And and that's the thing, man. I, I was never a big, I was never a big gambler. Yeah. Uh, you know, I delved in a little bit and got myself in a little bit of trouble because, I mean, that's what they do. They just take all your money and more. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... I was never big into it, but I, I just started going down. There's a place in Lawrenceburg, uh, Indiana. It was right outside of Ohio, like right on the southern southwest border, um, like the Kentucky-Indiana border. Uh, it's called Lawrenceburg. They had a riverboat called the Argosy, and they had this 1-3 game. And back then, people were smoking, and it was crazy as shit, man. And, uh, and I was going down there, and I was making my living. I said, I'm going to grind $600 a week. I'm going to make my, you know, my money. Yeah. Uh, you know, my 30K a year. And I'm going to be happy about it. And, you know, my wife had a decent job. And I said, this is what I'm going to do. And, uh, and you know, at the time, although everything was in the paper, you know, all of my wife's friends and family are like, well, why doesn't Luke have a job? And we never wanted to tell him. And to this day, they still don't know. I have a family. Hmm. Still That's crazy. Day. Yeah. Until this podcast comes out. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know if I'm going to... Thankfully, the sample hour is so famous that (laughs) everyone will know. (laughs) Yeah, it's... um, And, I mean, there's a lot of the stuff on there. I mean, my in-laws, most people don't know most of this stuff. Yeah. I don't know why I felt so willing to open up, but... I, I think it does play, you know, when you ask why it's a, it's, I am it's, what I am. But it's the story of the fucking Rust Belt, man. It's the story yeah. of, like, if you don't get why, like, it's just so stupid. Like, when we talk about things like white privilege and shit like that, it's like, yeah, you and I are white, but <laughs> fucking our family never had slaves. Actually, my dad's side did. Oh, really? And then, like, when slavery was up, she was just a part of the family. Yeah. And her name was, uh, I mean, it was normal back then. But her name was Nigger Al. Oh, okay. And she was like a part of the family. It was like she was she was the family, but back then nigger didn't mean the same thing. Sure. Yeah. So it wasn't. uh, So they they had one slave, but they were they were poor. So they were probably either gifted that slave because like a lot of people don't get about slavery. Is that I mean, like people took out loans to buy slaves, and they were property. And correct. So like, and that's like the the fuckery of when people like, why didn't they just let their slaves go? You gonna you just gonna give your house away when you when you owe a mortgage? Well, and here's the interesting thing. I know we talked about the the semantics between ethics and morality. Yeah. Here's the interesting thing. I have I have several very good friends. Um, One of them is a guy we used to play shows with, and uh, he's an art instructor out in Washington State University. And I mean, he's as liberal as they come. And I remember he was talking about something and it's always around like the holidays that we celebrate in America that are being liberalized as holidays that are nonsense, like Columbus Day. And, uh, and, you know, I brought up to him that, you know, the Indians used to have chattel slavery and the Indians had the most graphic punishment you know, of anybody. Well, the Arab slave trade was pretty terrible, but even look at <sighs> Liberia. Liberia was American slaves that were freed and sent back to Africa. So what they did was they moved to Liberia and they enslaved all the natives there yeah. just like they were enslaved. Yeah. I mean, you look into that, like 
the Barbary Pirates. Like there's there's some shit. Yeah, I mean, we were Western culture was really the first culture to stop doing slavery. Yeah, and and that's the interesting thing because I think this was coming around July Fourth where he was making his declaration mm-hmm. of his independence, if you will, <laughs> and uh, and I said, you know, you can we can cast aspersions all day long on Thomas Jefferson and the founders of our country, and even though I've been as we've talked about in the system. Very much. Yeah. I mean, I've had as much perpetrated against me within the system, and I still sort of believed in the structure. I still believed, even though that I have a felony, and even though my my childhood was riddled with uh, all that stuff, I still believe there's no other country I'd rather do that than, than America. No, no fucking way. I mean, there's a reason why people come over here in droves. There's a reason why. And it's like, look... Man, as a libertarian, I think like when you start realizing how fucked up things are, it's easy to just pound your chest about all the things you don't like in the world. But eventually, man, it's more important to just talk about the things that you're really about. Sure. And I think and that's how you that's what you do in business. And I well, think and it's funny because that's sort of privilege in itself. It is. Being well, able to say, Oh, this pisses me off. Going to a fucking well, grocery going to store. Going going being able to go to a grocery store is privilege. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's the, the, the whole idea of like, it's a privilege for me to have the lifestyle I have. Like yeah. it's, I wouldn't say it's white privilege. I would say it's American privilege. It's Western privilege. It's yeah. not, it has nothing to do with my race. It has nothing to do with my background. What it has to do with was I was fortunate enough to, you know, it, have have figure out how to make close relationships or have older people in my life, like look sure. out for me yeah. as a young man or a mm-hmm. young boy when, you know, my parents were going through whatever they were going through. Cause they had, man, I was the youngest and they had me when they were 20, 20, let's see, 26. Right. And that was the third kid. And I was like the attempt to save the marriage. Like we're, we're going to have this kid together. Cause we're going to make our marriage work. And obviously, thank God they did that, obviously, since I'm here. But like, like, obviously, that's not going to work out well. And it's uh, so but I I think like, you know, people don't realize what kind of privileges we actually have as Americans, especially when you're born here. They want to look for an excuse to blame somebody else for for why they have it bad in the world. It's always somebody else's fault or I'm never going to do this or I can never do that. And it's just all bullshit. Like yeah. we're, we're in a country where there's pretty few excuses. Like I don't like as much as the government takes from me. I don't like the fact that the IRS is automatically a 15% to 20% business partner in every financial yeah. transaction or earnings that I make in my life. And they do nothing for me to help me. And if you're a poker player, it's even more than that. Oh, I imagine. Yeah, God forbid you. What? Would it, so what is what is forty percent? Forty percent. Yeah, because capital gains. Yeah. Uh, well, there's that, and if you declare it as income, ordinary income. Yeah. Uh, I mean, forty percent. So how long did it take you to figure that out? Oh, uh, that was unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> when uh, so your first year of of playing poker? Yeah, it was. Well, there's a lot of. I was a cash player. So okay. there's a couple types of players. There's there's like a uh, there's a hybrid which plays cash in tournaments, mm-hmm. and then there's tournament player and cash player. Um, the tournaments are way different than cash. Yeah. Tournaments you buy in for a set amount and you can win a set amount. Yeah. And usually it's top ten percent that survive in that structure. Because it's not like if you sit down with your buddies and just ante up. Yeah. It's a structure that the annies increase as you go. So it's forcing people to play. You can't just sit there and play no hands and win. You are forced to play. And if you don't play, you lose yeah. 100%. 
And whereas cash, you can sit there and, and be as passive as you want. You can wait on aces all day long. And you know what? You can't, I've seen people do that and they lose and they lose because aces lose. Is it the ace king? Wasn't that called Anna Kornikova because it doesn't, it, looks it just pretty. looks good. But it doesn't it looks do good. shit. Yeah. And you know, there's, there's little idioms and all kinds of euphemisms for all kinds of stuff. But the one reason I did like poker is because it was a means to an end, if yeah. you will. And it represented everything in life. Yeah. It really did. You can wait all day for the opportunity that you've been waiting for all day long, all your life, and you can still lose. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I still tell my employees this to this day, people I like poker and, and I just think there's nothing, there's no better illustration that a game that art takes on real life than, than poker, you know, because certain people that suck win. Yeah. In life, certain people that suck win. Oh, you fuckers hate Donald Trump. <laughs> Hashtag winning. He is the guy man. Is winning. He is. You know, you didn't like Charlie Sheen when he was hashtag winning. Well, now he's got AIDS, so not so winning. Tiger blood didn't really work out, you know, but he's banging all the hottest porn stars. So he pays them to leave. Yeah. So, <laughs> you remember so when he said that yeah, shit? Yeah. Uh, so there's just certain things that, you know, that I, I think that was one of the biggest things with poker that I always loved. It, it was, it taught me how to, how to take opportunity and, uh, and a lot of people, when you're a winning poker player, you know, about 5% of people that play are winning and 95%, you know, don't, uh, 50% of those people are just doing it for a hobby. So they don't give a shit. It's entertainment. Yeah. Uh, it's like, if you like bone arrows, you know, you're going to spend thousands of dollars through your life on bone arrows. Well, these guys play a video, uh, a game, if you will. Um, and the same with video games, same with anything. And I just always liked it because when, when you're winning, people call you lucky and you're like, man, that's weird because I don't think that's what it is. And I then, think, man, I think I'm pretty lucky, but I think it's just because I knew how to pay attention to opportunities that were coming to me. Exactly. And that's, yeah. that's what leads me to this is I learned uh, very quickly that luck is where opportunity meets preparation. Yeah. If you're ready for it and it gets there, you could still lose but you were ready for it and you got there and that means you can get there and you can get there and get there again. Absolutely. man. And, uh, the last year I played full time as 2013 and, uh, and we were just, we were crushing and, uh, cause you had like a team. Yeah. Uh, not at this time. Okay. I just had like one guy. Uh, but at this time, and how it, did you like, how did you get into that? Like you were just like, Hey, you're good at poker. I can back well, you, but I'll give you just give yeah. Me so, so here's what what happens. Uh, so I was I was down playing this one game, and I was I was making a living off this game. So I was going to the casino. Um, I went to the Argosy. It was about three and a half hours away. I was making my six hundred dollars a week, and then I found another casino open two and a half hours away. So I started going to that one on the other side. This was in uh, West Virginia, on the Ohio River over there, big fucking river. And, uh, so now I'm on the West Virginia side place called the Wheeling Island Casino in West Virginia. Well, then I found a casino that opened closer called the Mountaineer in Casper, maybe some stupid little town. And, uh, that was closer. That was two hours away. Well, one of, one of those days, uh, I met these guys 
and they, you know, all sort of talked like me, looked like me. And, uh, they're like, yo, man, you're pretty good. I took down a tournament. They're like, yeah, you're pretty good. What do you do for a living? And I was like, eh, I play poker. And they all started laughing at me. And, you know, there wasn't a lot of, you know, just little grinders like me. And they're like, oh, no, seriously, what do you do? I'm like, yeah, play poker. And they're like, oh, man, you must have a good job to be able to play poker all the time. Like, yeah, okay. So I just went with it. Eh, okay. <laughs> and because, uh, you know, those 95% of people that lose, they also don't understand yeah. a lot. Yeah. And, uh, and especially at the time, now the average person, the average poker player knows a lot more than he did back then. It's a lot more resources. Oh, way more resources. And, uh, the calculator is still functional though. So 52 <laughs> cards, uh, still the math is still the same. The huds. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I met these guys and they're like, well, why do you come out here? Mr. Poker player? I said, well, I'm from Mansfield. They're like, Really? There's a game every day in Mansfield. And I'm like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? Like, yeah, there's a game every day. Meet us here, here, and here. And it turned out these guys were all dealers at those games. Huh. Out just blown just off. private, the, private yeah, games. Private games. And, uh, and so I the, met The them. gray market games. Yeah. And so I met them at this, this location, knocked on the door, you know, did the three tap, and a guy looks through the peephole, you know, some rounder shit, and they let you in. And you're looking around, and you're like, whoa, everybody's smoking pipes and, and has all this crazy shit. And there's yeah. a million dollars of cars just laying around. It's really wild. And I'm like, shit, this is all going on here. There's like three tables full of these dudes who are all getting off work at Steel Mill, just wanting to come blow off a couple hundred. Wow. And I'm like, holy shit. And they're like, yeah, there's also a game of Frank's tomorrow. Game of Bob's is Thursday. Game of, I'm like, what? And all these guys, it's like a little mini circuit. All these guys. And random guys have the games that they like. So every day you see different people, but a collection of the same people. Yeah. You know? And I'm like, man. So it sort of turned into a community. So then I was like, well, I, shit, I don't even have to go anywhere anymore. Yeah. And uh, so I, I started picking apart these games, and they're really easy. And I mean, obviously, Varence will still get your ass, you know, on times. So God forbid you spend money before you made it because <laughs> the poker gods will let you know real quick. Like, now, what's ah. more powerful, the uh, the state gods, the, uh, the title gods, oh. or the poker gods? You know, mysticism is a, is a strange thing to get into. <laughs> I've never looked at which is more powerful, but poker I do, gods seem to favor you more. Well, some would say the pizza gods. The pizza gods definitely yeah, favor you. Yeah, because I made more off pizza than I ever did on poker. Yeah. But uh, so some would say that. But I would say it's understanding it's the gods of finance. Yeah. Those are the gods that are supreme beings. Absolutely. Because when you're Jeff Bezos, you don't got to worry about a lot of gods. No. no. You got your TRT and, <laughs> and all that shit. Have you, you know, seen him? He's all jacked. Yeah, you don't got to worry about any of that. No. You know? Uh, but when you're, when you're dealing with, all, you know, not having a lot of money, you do have to yeah. deal with a lot of these gods. So you're, okay. So you're, you're grinding away there. Yeah. So this is, so this is, so what year is this? So we're, we're probably in, uh, this is probably nine, 10 and 11. Okay. Grinding there. Well, I'm, I'm making a decent living, you know, I get myself in a little trouble. Like I said, when the second you spend money, you're like, well, I'm going to play this game. This is always a good game. I always make like a thousand bucks. I'm like, yeah, we can go out and go to Red Lobster and splurge. And then I go on like a, a three week downswing Damn. that my wife is paying the bills. I'm like, oh, sweet. I can't even provide. 
<laughs> you know, it's a good feeling as a man. Oh yeah, it, it's terrible. And uh, hopefully during these equality talks, that uh, women will one day be able to feel like they'll have that feeling deep Abs- within their gut. Absolutely. I, um, I want a nice. I want to be a nice kept man. <laughs> so, uh, so I was I was at one of the honey hole games that I just always did well. And this this young kid comes down, and I'm like, I've never seen this kid. He comes down, you know, he's snotty nose, glasses, you know, looks like a young Jewish kid, like your stereotypical Jewish, like you know, curly, you know, probably has a dreidel in his back pocket, <laughs> like just full on, like bar mitzvah was ten years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. And uh, this kid comes down, and and he was the first one that gave me trouble at this game. And he was giving me a lot of trouble. Yeah. And I'm like, so after the game, I was like, yo, man, what's your deal? And he goes, ah, I just, nah. he didn't want to tell me much. And I'm like, okay, well, he's obviously smart because good players don't tell good players stuff because yeah. you want to you you be keep the best. Your, keep your cards to your chest. Yeah. And uh, bad players always want to tell somebody how good they are and yeah. why they're so good. And, oh, and I've never understood it, but um, – Trying to convince themselves. Yeah, it is a lot of confirmation bias and that they're really not in the 95%. Yeah. Uh, so this guy is telling me, he finally lets out. He was like, yeah, I was playing online and then Black Friday happened. And Black Friday, I believe it happened uh, 2011. Um, the federal government shut down all online, online. poker. Yeah, it was bullshit. Yeah, they said uh, we can't have consenting adults. We can't. Uh, we can't track all that income yeah. to get your tax money. So yeah. we're going to shut it down. Then we're going to say it's for some moral bullshit reason. Yeah, that was awesome. And from somebody that was raised, you know, in what they call the Bible Belt by those people, you know, when people attribute that to Bible Belt stuff, it's really not. It's that's the bullshit reason. Yeah. It's actually because they can't tax it. They can't track the taxes. Yeah. They don't give a shit. If, if Jeff Flake believes in the, the Holy Bible, the King James, the NIV, yeah. they don't give a fuck. No way. They, they need their income because the government is a business. It is. And they need that money coming in. It's a business that and, doesn't balance its books most of the time. Yeah. But constitutionally, they're supposed to all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Isn't that a conundrum? For sure. And uh, so I met this kid, and he's telling me about Black Friday. And uh, the nice thing is, on Black Friday, you can look up. Uh, they called it Black Friday because um, that Friday they shut down. They seized all the assets from Full Tilt, uh, Poker Stars, all the big sites. Well, at the time, Bo- Bodog. Well, Bodog was over, was out of the country. Bodog was out of the country. They were doing their own stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah. Calvin Harris. Uh, he was into his own crazy. Yeah, yeah. I, know I think they actually just uh, revoked his. He wasn't even allowed in the U.S. government for like 12 years. Wow. He was banned from the U.S. But I think they, they revoked that. So I think he's allowed now. I think, I think Russia loves him, though. So <laughs> yeah, Probably. He did uh, some fight promotions there. He did MMA before it got big. He did like yeah. Bodog fights. And he had like a, a Bodog reality TV show back in like Jesus. 2007, 2008. Yeah. Oh, it was a big company. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I remember Full Tilt used to always be oh, yeah. a UFC they the sponsor. They oh, were yeah. everywhere, and then they just shut them down. Yeah, they shut them down, federal government. They're said. trying to shut down the fantasy games Oh, right now. of course. Well, and and that's – it's crazy thinking about any of that. But, you know, the nice thing is with uh, the online poker was I could get – all the stats were tracked. 
And there were sites. Now, here's what the government, if they were smart, if they were a businessman, like they should be. Yeah. And I think, I think you know, Trump, for what it is, I think his team could figure this out. Yeah. All this stuff is tracked. And poker players like tracking people because the ones online, they got really good. They weren't just sitting around at a table with a bunch of guys. They had 12 screens up playing 12 different games at the same time. Yeah. And they would keep track of their winnings, their lo- losings. They'd keep track of how many times they bet, how many times somebody else bets, how many times somebody folds. And it got so good that it wasn't even poker anymore. It was just analytics. Yeah. That's all it was. And the government could have come in and said, well, we're going we're gonna to subpoena all these records and see what all these guys made. Oh, this guy's 28% ROI over $3.9 million of tournament entries. Okay, that means he has this amount of money. Yeah. It's a real easy, I mean, it's not even algebra, it's arithmetic. No. Yeah. And, uh, and it could have been real easy, but they decided not to. They said, fuck it, seize it. We'll just take the money. We're not even going to wait on our taxes. We're taking the money, we're seizing the property. So they did. And uh, so I meet this kid. Uh, Andrew came in and he's telling me about this and, and he was being staked into this $60 poker tournament. Like, damn, somebody has to put you in a $60 tournament. So I know times are rough, but they seized all of his money. And at the time he was being backed by a big, big player out in Vegas. And he was being backed living in Vegas, playing on all these screens, but he's from Mansfield. So now he's back his family. Like, Oh, see, we told you poker fails, go to college, $250,000 bullshit degree (laughs) and some bullshit. And uh, get a job. Yeah. And fall back on. Yeah. So yeah, he's telling me all this stuff. I'm like, man, that, that sucks. He goes, yeah. So I went from living it up in Henderson, Nevada, you know, doing whatever the fuck I want. Back to Mansfield. Back to Mansfield. Jesus, that sucks. Yeah. And uh, he goes, I don't know what to do. And I looked up all the stats. I said, hey, man, you obviously can play. You're one of the 5%. I said, I want to know how to monetize that. Because I, you know, I always use the, the analogy of, you know, there, there's somebody that says, oh, you can either give a man fish or teach a man how to fish. Yeah. Well, I take it a step further. I say, you know, if you're really trying to make money, you need to learn how to get more than one cast out. Yeah. You need to cast a big net if you want a lot of fish. Absolutely. And so my thought was, as long as I only have one fishing pole, I'm only ever going to bring in one fish at a time. Yeah. If I can get this guy to also throw his pole out, well, guess what? Now we can get two fish maybe. And then I thought, well, shit, why can't we just have 10? And so... This was my first guy I started staking, and uh, we had a general agreement, you know, and we became really good friends. So our agreement was very, uh, it was very nice. It was, hey, man, I'll put up all the money. Don't have to sweat the money. Uh, whatever you win, we'll split 50-50. Whatever you lose, it will go into a makeup number. It'll go just a, a you know, a red number that you got to pay back with future winnings before you get your half. It sort of, in, it like, enticed them to keep on playing. Yeah. And uh, so we went about a year and, you know, going and going and he had a couple of bad downswings, you know, five, six thousand dollars. And and, you know, in the meantime, I had to go do some carnival circuit <laughs> P.S., you know, help my buddy sell corn dogs and uh, ices, you know, just to like try to get the bankroll back up. And uh, finally we went down. It was like November. We went down in uh, Lawrenceburg for the Hollywood poker main event. And uh and he ended up winning it for about 36000 And he, at the time, I think was into me about five or 6000 
And I was paying for him to live. You know, we were golfing together, just talking strategy. And and I was covering a bill during that time because he had no money. He all his money just spent it on weed. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and so he had never never had any money. And and he ships this thing, and uh, he has this money. And we have, and he wins this watch, and his these chips. And we're just looking at more money than I've ever seen. Yeah, you know, I'm like, holy, like this just happened. Thirty six fucking thousand dollars. Jesus Christ. So did you start going in tournaments too then? Well, I was playing tournaments anyway. Okay. You know, but I was playing tournament more like not the way he was playing tournaments. I was doing tournaments more as like Mel Gibson and Maverick. Yeah. Like some bullshit. <laughs> he was playing tournaments analytically only, you know, and and his his biggest deterrent from tournaments and live tournaments was the people. Yeah. He hated that. He only had one hand at a time because he was used to 12 hands at a time. Yeah. Analyzing all these little macro situations. And so it was really a test to him. Like, God, I can't even focus. I can't focus. And he's like, dude, I need weed. I'm like, <laughs> okay. Uh, doesn't seem right. You know, your motor skills seemed like they'd be, well, whatever. He made it work. And, uh, and it just got weird. So to him, that was sort of how he balanced his anxiety. Yeah. But in the meantime, we would always talk and he's like, man, and he would always tell me that he's like, you're so good at accumulating so many chips, but you do a lot of things that are just so weird. I'm like, well, what do you mean? I'm smart enough. Tell me. And we would just shoot shit for hours and hours. Yeah. And after we go play tournaments together, we had just hours and hours talking what do you think how I did this? He goes, well, I wouldn't even be in that situation because that's dumb. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? You're right. I could really play it this way. And now I'd have way more information. Yeah. And, you know, and we would just strategize just all night long. And, uh, so 13 came around and, uh, we were out and I made it my first final table at a big tournament. And, uh, is this the one where you found the fake chips? No, no, no. That was, that was, that was further. That was further than that. (laughs) And, uh, and so I made a final table and I'm like, damn. And I busted out because I just got so excited. And all these guys were like really good. And these were all the big guys you see on TV. Yeah. And I'm, I'm out on the East Coast and I think I'm the shit, you know. And, and then I get with all these guys and I'm like, oh, I'm going to teach these guys. I'm going to show them I'm the shit. Yeah. And it just, I picked the worst time. The guy had like the dead nuts, <laughs> you know, he had like a straight flush. And I'm like trying to represent what he has and, and, uh, so I like busted ninth and, uh, for, you know, like six, $7,000 first place, like 200 Damn. and I get like six, 7,000. So that's like a kick in the nuts. Yeah. It's like the worst way to ever pick up six, 7,000. And, uh, and I'm like, I'm never going to get to the final table. That was so hard. <laughs> and then a week later, I'm at the final table again. And then a week later, I'm at the final table. And then that year I made 13 final tables. And this guy that I'm staking, we actually made one final table together. And then we busted eighth and ninth. <laughs> so people, and by that time, people knew like he was my horse and they're yeah, like, yeah. oh, this should be a good payout for you guys. You're both sitting real pretty in chips. And there's like be first and second was like 290,000 wow. between them. And we bust out eighth and ninth for like a collective 15,000. Like, oh, yeah. sweet. So we left in 2013. We left about yeah, probably a million five on the table. Wow. You know, cause you're supposed to finish. If you get to the, the final table, you're supposed to finish fifth yeah you know average no eighth and ninth so just you know the tax tax man really if he only if the tax man only had me as a player he would have hated me yeah you know but fortunately for the government tax man gets all of the players yeah you know to about 40 percent they're 40 percent partners 
And um, <sighs> that's crazy. But one of the final tournaments that I played, um, it, my mom, well, my stepmom started becoming ill. Uh, my my dad and mom, uh, stepmom became ill sort of at the same time. Uh, you know, my dad was he was diagnosed with multiple myeloma. Um, he was working for Columbia Gas and and he bent over to pick up a wrench and felt a creak in his back. And he went to the doctor like, yeah, you got a broken back. He's like, what? What do you mean you got a broken back? I just picked up a wrench. Now you got a broken back. Well, okay. So they tried like some fusion, whatever. No, I'm not a doctor, obviously. <laughs> and uh, tried some stuff and uh, the stuff that they were trying, um, it was it was whatever. Well, a couple of years later, they're like, yeah, this isn't, there's some weird stuff we're seeing. So they give them a, a biopsy and they're like, uh, not good. This is, this is an un, uncurable cancer. Jesus. And uh, so it hit him and they said, well, he, you know, my dad, very private man he goes, well, how long do I have? And they said, 50% make it five years. Wow. And so death sentence, you know, yeah. I mean, shit, Magic Johnson's lived with AIDS 25 years, <laughs> yeah. 27 years, whatever. Yeah. Injecting hundreds into his veins. But, uh, my dad obviously didn't have hundreds to inject in his veins. And, um, and probably a year later, my stepmom was diagnosed with stage one, uh, colon cancer. Jesus. Well, at the time, stage one colon cancer, full recovery. You yeah. Know, oh, we'll catch it. Well, interesting enough, my dad is trying all kinds of things, like trying some holistic things, but he was still hardcore. You know, he was one of those people that, uh, he was like, you know what? Fuck you guys. I'll eat cheeseburgers till the day I die. Cause I love them. Yeah. And if I lose another year off my life, I'm At not least I enjoyed quinoa. it. Yeah. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. And, uh, and it was weird because at one point his went into complete remission and then, uh, his wife had a, a deal at the doctor that she went in and the day his went into remission about a month later, hers turned into stage three and it started spreading and metastasizing everywhere. Wow. So they thought hers was curable and now hers is metastasizing to stage three and aggressive. And, uh, so I think it was, I think this was probably Thanksgiving of 13. Yeah, probably th Thanksgiving of 13. Uh, she was making a lot of claims like, uh, this, this might be it. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it was, it was really weird. So we, the whole family got together. Thanksgiving was sort of her day and, uh, we got together and, uh, and you, you could tell like jaundice was setting in and your skin was yellow. And then we went out and played poker. Uh, me and Andrew went out and played poker and that. So going into 14, um, and we came back after the January, the Borgata winter open of, uh, of 14. And this is when, uh, I was, I was making some deep runs. I was listed as the top. I think top 10, I was in the top 10 poker players in the world at that time. That's awesome. The poker index. And I was making a big run Well, we were in this uh, opening tournament. It's a $2 million guarantee. And I was in this tournament and I was one of the chip leaders at the time, real close to the money. And uh, we get into the money and a guy gets sat at my table with more chips than I do. Hmm. And I had a fuck ton. Yeah. Dude, I had piles Poker players call them heaps. I had heaps. Yeah. And this guy sits down. And he has more than I've ever seen. I'm like, the fuck is this guy? 
And, uh, and it was so crazy because I just have always been a suspicious person. Yeah. And, uh, and I don't know if it was with my, my stepmom, like really she was, we knew she was on the way out and I knew my dad, you know, even though his was in remission, if she goes, he's probably going to get, yeah. yeah. And, uh, so that was on my mind and I was just skeptical of all things. And then I, I was like, I need to win a tournament before this I happens. want them, I want them to see me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, cause they know, like, I'm not asking them for money. So they know I'm doing something, Yeah, but I really wanted to win. And, uh, so we're getting deep into this tournament, and I think first place was like nearly seven hundred fifty thousand. Wow! And huge event. They have huge events out there, and uh, this guy sits down a couple spots to my right, which is perfect in Pokerland because uh, I had position on him. Yeah. So anytime, uh, anytime he could bet, I always had. I always knew what he would do first, and that's a great spot to be in when somebody has all the chips. And, uh, so I was trying to take advantage of this guy. Well, he played every single hand that and that's weird for somebody that, that has that, has many, that chips. many chips. Yeah. Yeah. Usually a, a novice will play every hand and he'll yeah. be, he'll accumulate a lot of chips getting on the high end of, uh, of, uh, variance and, and, you know, uh, deviation, but, uh, he'll eventually lose, you know, cause it's not a sustainable model. And, uh, this guy's playing every hand against me. And probably, probably the 12th hand that we played as a table, he threw chips into the ante because we were in the ante rounds and one of the chips stuck out to me. I'm like, what the fuck is that? He's like, what? And he's like, and he was the only one that cared. Everybody had headphones. I'm like, no, what the fuck is that chip? He goes, what chip? And I was like, dealer, look at that chip. And the dealer looked at it. He goes, yeah, I mean, it does look a little different. I'm like, no, that looks way fucking different. <laughs> yeah. That's not a little different. So we call Tab Dashtow, the uh, poker room director. He comes over to our table. And now by this point, everybody is like, like, what? what's going on? Why is Tab coming down? Because this is the king of the poker. Yeah. And he's coming down. He's like, well, we did introduce uh, new chips because we had more people than we thought. So there were different manufacturers. So there's slight variance in chips. So, yeah, that's probably one of the variants. I'm like, probably? We're playing for millions of dollars. Yeah, this needs to be something that's definite. And uh, so I get on my Twitter, and uh, and I take a picture of these chips. I take this guy out in a hand, and I get some of his chips. I'm stacking them up, and I throw those right back out into the ante because they're just fucking weird. Throw them back out in the ante, and I take a picture of my Twitter, and I'm like, snap. And I said, something is funky in this tournament. And I will find out what it is. And I have a picture of like, I think it's four chips and it eventually went viral. Uh, the AP picked it up. Um, and then it got even more funky. I kept on playing with this guy. This guy was real talkative and happy go lucky until I brought the tournament director over and this guy like clammed up. Hmm. And I said, man, what the fuck is going on? Something is going on. Yeah. And at that time I took my Twitter, I took my phone, I had like an iPhone four probably. And I just like snapped it right on him. Mm-hmm. And I tweeted something to the effect of who the fuck's this guy? I, I tweeted something to the effect of 
never trust a redhead with greasy hair and a ponytail. <laughs> it was just something just really Silly. stupid. Yeah. But he was one of these like redhead, really greasy hair. He had the little like combat hat on uh, with the, he had the watch with the armband, you know, the armband watch. It's like a sweatband, but it's yeah, got yeah. the watch right in the center. Just a real like Weird unique, guy. like cargo shorts, you know, with like the little tie offs at the leg. Yeah. You know, just a weird, and, and I and I tweeted that out, and then the very next hand, he called me all the way down, and on a hand he should have never been in, and I put him on an underpair the whole time, and I'm just going at this guy, and uh, finally I'm all in on the turn, and he calls, and he was the only one in the tournament that had me covered at the time, all in on the turn, and he calls. I have two pair. He calls with a pair that's below the board, so the the board is the community cards on the table. Uh, there's four of them and, uh, and I have top two. So my hand, my two cards match the top two cards on the board. So I have what they call top two pair. And he calls me with like a pair of fives and, you know, looking back, he was calling me his own chips. So he had more chips in his couch. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. He's just trying to bust everybody. Yeah. His bookie or whatever the fuck. And, uh, and, and he hits his five on the river. Well, three of a kind beats two pair. Wow. And he hit me. I'm like, what do you think I was bluffing? He goes, yeah, man. I don't know. You just talk too much. Like, what the fuck's that mean? Yeah. I was salty as fuck. Yeah. Like, man. And I, I got up and I said, you can take your fake chips and get the fuck out of here. And I just pushed my pile in and. I went on. They gave me my payout. Payout number six hundred. <laughs> you know they give you. You got to wait at the table, and they run over there and they give you your payout card that you take to the cashier and get paid. And it's so salty. It's a salty walk. Yeah. Because I was just a chip leader in this thing, possibly playing for three quarter million dollars. Yeah. And I was so salty. And the next day, one of my friends makes it even deeper from Columbus, Nick Wagenti. He is now top chip leader cops are involved interesting gaming commissions there tournament is suspended until further notice wow everybody pulls me the fbi calls me they say can you meet us i'm like who the fuck how do you get my number yeah uh, they're the fbi yeah. <laughs> they got it and uh they said you need to meet us here and i said okay they said tell us what you know about this guy i'm like what guy I said this guy yeah greasy boy yeah and i said well I know he was suspicious as fuck. They're like, we don't care about him. We care about these chips. I'm like, well, I think I was told by the tournament director that these chips were legit. Had I known that they were not legit, I would just, I would have not played one more fucking hand. Yeah. Because what are you playing for? Nothing. You got to solve it first. You know, it's yeah. like the government print money. Yeah. Why are we trying to be millionaires when by the time we do make a millionaire, it's not worth dick. Yeah, exactly. They printed off trillions, you know, so in a, in a macro version, this was something that we had to, we had to get set up. Yeah. And, uh, so now I'm learning the tournament has been compromised and they're like, listen, no one else knows this. But you tweeted, did you tweet, are you at 7th Echo? And I said, yeah. Did you tweet this picture? I said, yeah, of course. Why did you think there's something funny about that? I said, well, when I brought it up to the table, I guess I was the only one seeing it. Yeah. And I said, they said, well, how did you notice it? Lay out these chips. And they had those same chips. He says, point them out to us. And I said, it's that one, that one, and that one. Like, okay, why? 
And it's like, I felt like I had these rose colored glasses that no one else had and I could see these chips and no one else could see them. Yeah. I'm like, it's so fucking obvious. Yeah. They're like, we don't see it. I'm like, look at the sheen. This is a matte finish. This is a slightly satin finish trying to be a matte finish, but it's not a good job of it. Yeah. And you could see it. He goes, okay, I see it. <laughs> when did you know about these? I said, I was the chip leader. Douchebag comes over, sits to my right, has more chips than I do. I'm immediately alarmed. Like, wait, I thought I was chip leader. Yeah. Where the fuck did you get all those chips? And they said, well, what would you have wanted us to do? I said, you should have audited all the chips. Count the fucking chips. Yeah. Because if that guy had more chips, then that's bullshit. Yeah. You know, there should be a certain amount. Of, there's 200, there's 2,000 buy-ins. We all started with 10,000 chips. Real easy math. Yeah. Um. So... And I said, so if you ask me, this is the guy. And they said, okay, do you have any other reason? I said, well, he busted me. He played every single hand. Why are you just mad because you busted? No, I'm not mad because I busted. Nobody plays every single hand in high stakes poker. Exactly. And yeah. and I just kept on telling him, but you're trying to, you're trying to tell somebody that, that don't, don't play poker, somebody that thinks, oh, it's all luck Yeah, yeah. about a game. That's not luck at all. Yeah. Has luck, but it's skill. And, uh, so long story short, they suspend the game, and now my buddy hears that my video, my picture going viral, and he's one of the top chip stacks. And he's like, well, what the fuck? <laughs> and he's good enough that he would probably would have won. Yeah. I mean, he's really good. And uh, and I'm like, man, I'm sorry. I, I tried to point it out. Like, I thought this was bullshit. And so... They, uh, so they get all the way down to like 32 people and then they just said, tournament's completely done. We're not doing anything else. Cause that's when they did their own research yeah. and that's when they found it was this guy with the red hair. Huh. They backtracked all of his things and they finally found where he was pulling in from his backpack, his greasy ass fucking Jansport. <laughs> he was pulling out these chips, just stacks of grays, 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 10,000 chips. And, uh, you know, just pulling them out because if you play a hand and somebody's bringing the pot in, very few people notice if, as you're stacking back up your chips, you add, you know, a hundred thousand yeah. stack, you know, that's so crazy. And yeah, it's just, it's just like a modern, you know, just a shitty magician. So is, is that kind of what made you want to open the pizza shop then? Well, um, it got into that. It was, it was one of those things I was coming back from that. And, uh, so my, my Columbus friends were salty as fuck. Cause I just possibly cost him three quarter million. He thought. Yeah. And, uh, and at that point I had, I think 14 players playing with me. So I went from one to about 14. And at that point we were on a quarter million dollar downswing. And, you know, over 14 guys and myself, you know, you divide that up. It's not as much as it sounds like, but you know, the variance was getting me. And a lot of these guys were like, Oh, I'm never going to get my way out of this. I, I can't keep on playing. I'm yeah. Like, well, well, you kind of have to, well, yeah, you do. But then if they don't, I mean, you can't force them. No. So, yeah. So it sort of was a shitty position. And, uh, and I just told him like, ah, oh, this is really shitty for me. And I, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. And, uh, and at that time I text my stepmom, uh, this was at the end of January. I text my stepmom like, yeah, you'll never believe it. I just, you know, you always think I I'm suspicious about things, but I just uncovered one of the biggest poker frauds, uh, frauds in modern day. 
Um, you know, I said, my pictures are viral, you know, picking up all these followers on Twitter. And, uh, and she wrote me the last thing she'd really ever wrote me was like, Oh, I, I, I knew you would always, you know, you were always so observant about things. I always knew something would, you would get yeah. somebody, you know, and you've always looked out for other people and we just always knew you would do something Yeah. and, uh, got back end of January and, uh, she died at the beginning of February. Oh shit. Yeah. And, uh, so it was right at that time she died, man, my motivation to play poker, I was like, okay, I can't stop what I'm doing. And I mean, she died, she was 60, wow. you know, and, and three months prior to that, she looked 60. Yeah. Three months after that, she looked 120. Yeah. I mean, at that time, her cancer metastasized to her breast, uh, her colon, everything. I mean, jaundice. I mean, she was decrepit. She yeah. looked like a hundred year old woman. And, uh. So we tried to go out and play again in the spring open out in AC. Uh, and it was just me and Andrew again. All my other players quit me. And so the feeling was different. I was down a bunch of money. And uh, I I was cashing still, you know, making some money. Andrew got really deep into one, and he took a bad beat uh, really deep in the tournament, and he was over it. He's like, man, fuck this. Yeah. Fuck this. I'm over this. And he was over it. So we came back and it was April came back. And uh, so at this time he's over it and he's this kind of guy, if he doesn't want to do something, he won't. And uh, so he just said, okay, well uh, I'm going to be done for a while. I said, probably till, you know, the world series out in Vegas starts, which is in June. Said, so I'm going to be done until then. And I said, well, fuck that's two months. And, uh, I said, well, I got to do something, yeah. you know? So uh, I, I always got on Craigslist, you know, and would always try to find deals. And I found this little pizza shop and, uh, I said, Andrew, I got an idea. He goes, what? I said, are you hungry? He goes, yeah. <laughs> I said, there's this little pizza shop called element pizza. He goes, yeah, I've been there. I said, <laughs> what? When have you ever, he's like, oh yeah, me and my girlfriend, uh, we had, they had, they were on uh Groupon. I'm like, oh, Groupon. He's like, yeah, the place sort of sucked. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So we go in and, uh, and I, and I'm trying to get a feel for what's going on, you know, cause they're asking prices there and it's, it's reasonable, I guess. And, uh, it's reasonable if it's making money. Yeah. So we went in to sort of see what's going on and, and, uh, started assessing, you know, just how they do business and whatever. And, um, so I'm like, you know, I'm sort of interested in this spot started doing market research and found that there's, there's a lot of new condos going to be built within the next three, four years. And, uh, you know, the convention center is booming, you know, they're doing a bigger expansion. I'm like, man, this is, this could be really cool. And, uh, I said, Hey, let's go in there again. He goes, dude, we already had their shit pizza. I'm like, <laughs> Yeah, but I want to see if it's shit every time. Yeah. You know, I want to see, I don't want to buy somewhere if I think I'm just going to maintain status quo. Yeah. I want to buy something if I know why they're failing. Yeah. Or at least make myself feel better in knowing. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, I yeah. know. Yeah. And so we ate there three times and and we noticed like, okay, they're not delivering. 90% of pizza is delivery. Check. Uh, this chick is getting in fights with people on Yelp. Uh, that's not good for business. Check. Uh, and the Blue Jackets made the first time ever the playoffs. playoffs. And at the end of their come from behind victory over uh, Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, there's a crowd that was walking back through from Nationwide to their parking lot. 
that passes this place on the way. And we were in there that night, not knowing anything about the Blue Jackets because I wasn't a hockey fan. And uh, these guys were just amped, man. They were jacked. They wanted to drink some fucking beer, and they wanted it now. And I'm like, oh, let's see how this goes. They close in a half an hour. And the lady comes up, and she's like, I'm sorry, guys, we're closed. Wow. There's like eight people that are just jacked as fuck. Just turning down business. And, and, I, and at this time, I've already seen what business this lady's doing, like $300 a day. Wow. Not much. No. And I'm like, these guys will slam. In 30 minutes, they will slam $300 of beer. Absolutely. They just got done paying 10 bucks for a pint. Like, yeah. they will pay money for beer. They're happy. Don't don't be their buzzkill lady. And she was just their exact buzzkill. And I looked at Andrew. I said, I'm buying this place. He goes, what the fuck ever? So now I'm buying this place. And uh, so I started the negotiations with this lady. And uh, she hated me. She absolutely hated me because I wasn't given anything, <laughs> you know, I wasn't given anything because she had a liquor license. Her equipment sucked. And uh, that's crazy. She had a liquor license too, especially in Ohio. Cause those are hard to get very hard to get. And that was her biggest asset I was negotiating with. Yeah. So uh, she had a liquor license. And I said, well, here's how I see it. I said, you want like $120,000 for this thing. Uh, you don't own the building. So there's no real estate attached. I said, uh, you have a liquor license, you know, that, uh, unfortunately the government only unleashes a certain amount because God forbid too many people offer liquor mm-hmm. and what kind of world could we live in? It's so um, stupid. So when there's, when there's no more liquor license available, you got to buy one on the open market. And, uh, so I said, your liquor license, the oven, there's like one other thing that's actually worth something. Here's my offer. And it's sort of a take it or leave it offer. And I came in way low ball. I mean, I had like $40,000. So 80000 less than she wanted. <laughs> and uh, she goes, I don't, I, don't, I don't even know how to talk to you right now. I'm just so shaken up. And I'm like, hey, you can go to your safe space. And while you're there, look at your fucking books. Yeah. You're losing $4,000 a month. And I already talked to your landlord. Yeah. And I know you're not paying rent on time. Yeah. Guess what? When you're not on time this month, now it gets later next month and later next month and later next month. And guess what? Then you're gone. And then you're, then the only thing you have is your liquor license. license. So I said, so think about it. So she hits me back, comes back at me. She's like, I'll take 80. I said, get the fuck out of here. You don't make money in your business. Yeah. I don't want your piece of shit name. I don't want your piece of shit anything. I want your, your lo- liquor license. I want your liquor license. Yeah, your location, your liquor license. I want the assignment of your lease. And the place was ratty, man. It, like holes everywhere. I mean, it was ratty at the time. Still ratty now, you know, despite <laughs> all my best efforts. It's an old ass uh, fucking building. Yeah, man. it's historical. So, that, God forbid you want to make anything nice. nice. Yeah. And, uh, so it was, it was really weird. So I came back at her and I said, okay, I will, I will, I will give you one counter offer to my own offer. I said, I am willing, if you are willing, I said, I know you're going to go broke. And despite you telling me with your NBA and all your infinite wisdom <laughs> that you're not going broke, I know what numbers look like. And I know yours are red and not going black anytime soon. Uh, so I said, here's what I'm willing to do. I said, I want you to walk away. I will give you a sizable chunk up front, 20000 or whatever. And I said, I will make you payments of the additional amount to pay off whatever once the liquor license goes through. 
and I will give you a three-year deal, and I want you to finance this three-year deal at a subprime interest rate because I'm not paying you prime because you're not a bank. And yeah. this is money that you're getting for free, and I'm not paying you interest on free money. So I'm not going to pay any more than 2%. She's like, wow. I don't, wow, I don't even know why you're doing this. I said, I'm doing this because I think you'll take it. Yeah. And uh, she finally took it. That's crazy. At about 2%. It was a little less than 2% once you amortize it all out. So then, okay, so you take over this uh, ratchety fucking building. Yeah. You take over this pizza shop. What do you do about, uh, <laughs> how many employees do you have at the beginning? Oh, me. Just me. So you're doing deliveries and everything? Well, I, I had a plan. I wrote it all down on a piece of paper that I still have. And it's really cool because when I opened my piece of paper, yeah, you know, I unfolded it after we moved into our new house. And uh, I was like, holy shit, this was my plan. And it worked. And everything I did on this plan, and I haven't seen this plan since the day I bought it. Yeah. Every single thing on this plan I did. And it all, I hit all of my marks. And it was really cool. But I was the only worker. And I bought the place. It was really shitty because... She knew I was buying it. She knew she accepted the deal, met with the lawyer, met with everybody. She knew I accepted the deal, and she didn't tell her her couple employees. <laughs> and uh, that's, that didn't sit well with me. You yeah. Know? It really did. You're fucking over your people and yeah, not even telling them. You know, and they're probably not making much, but come yeah. on, they're giving you their, their work. It's worth something. And uh, so I bought it on a Saturday night. Uh, they already were closed Sunday. Then they opened up Monday morning for lunch. And uh, I uh, bought it Saturday, and that place was so shitty. I just had to pull everything out and clean. So Saturday night, I pulled everything out of the kitchen, everything out of the entire place, cleaned the whole thing, stayed up for two straight days, opened up lunch Monday morning under my own recipes, my own name, everything. So how did you come up with recipes, just from working at pizza shops and yeah, everything like that? Well, and doing my the mom catering? was a, uh, yeah, catering. I mean, I always had a good palate. My mom was a, uh, my real mom was a, uh, uh, home baker and she was a pastry chef at some country clubs. And so she was always making like, you know, loaves of bread, uh, New York style water bagels, all this stuff. And I yeah. mean, she's fantastic at it. And she was showing me the importance of gluten proteins and this, that, and the other. And you know, when you're 10, you're, you don't know what the difference between a semi-sweet chocolate and a milk chocolate yeah, yeah. cookie, you know? And, uh, so she's teaching me all this. Well, as I was going on, you know, I'd work someplace, you know, whether it was Papa John's, I'm like, oh, that's sort of, man, this needs a little salt, yeah. you know, or God, this needs a little sugar, just whatever. And so as I was getting older, I always knew like, you know, you guys suck. One day I'll run my own business, you know? <laughs> and, and I always said, I'll take the good from where there is good. And there's a lot of good in corporations and, but there's a lot of bad. Yeah. And I said, I'm going to take frozen dough and shit yeah, like that. I mean, it's just no one wants it's, that. It's kind of simple. And it was like, it was weird. Cause like I went to my favorite pizza joint <laughs> after like in Toledo Vito's was oh, one of yeah. my favorite spots. Yeah. And they have like, uh, and then I like after working at your spot where I help you know, make dough and all yeah. this shit. And it's like, and they do nothing from scratch here. What the fuck? It was like, <laughs> it was, I was so disappointed. Yeah. I was like, dude, we do, we make the sauces. We make yeah. every, all the doughs hand throwed. I mean, yeah. it's, and it, it was like a totally different. It was like, oh shit, you do shit from scratch. And guess what? It's better flavor. Yeah. 
Yeah, amazing when you offer uh, better things when you make stuff to order, it's better. Yeah. It's amazing when somebody makes a burger in front of you, it just always tastes a little better than getting something Weird. out of a out <laughs> of, of a, a freezer. Bag. Yeah, and uh, so that was that was the thing. So I I opened up Monday and and I got three customers that day. And uh I guess they were regulars for her for lunch. No one called at, at night, you know, and and uh so I was like, ah, oh, three customers. All right, made 18 bucks. All right, this, <laughs> whatever. Great I, return so yeah, far. So far, so good. Well, I know they like the pizza a lot, and all three of them are like, damn, this is way better. Yeah. And man, when did she change recipes? I'm like, well, I'm the, actually the, the new owner. My own business, my when, own recipe. When did you rebrand it? Uh, I tried to rebrand it immediately. And, uh, so I slapped up. So this is funny. So the first week I was trying to take down the sign, they had like this metal sign that was like element pizza. And it had some like weird, uh, like UV, uh, paint that like some, I don't know, I guess they wanted to put black lights on it. It was supposed to be a cool like trick, the elemental. Yeah. And it had a lot of dumb, like dumb, really shit. dumb shit. There's like, it's not just pizza. It's elemental. Like a lot of dumb. New agey bullshit. Yeah. And it's shit that's like too embarrassing to even say, let alone trademark. <laughs> but yeah, they were trying to go down that path. Yeah. And uh, so I was up on this ladder and I'm trying to like take this shitty sign down because I was going to put my sign up and uh, and a city worker walked by. He goes, what the fuck are you doing? Where's your permit? Like permit. I'm just taking this sign down. He goes, whoa, don't, don't take out another screw. Seriously, where's your permit? Like, what? I need a permit to take this metal off of my building. Yeah. Yeah, it's a sign. Hardly. <laughs> hardly a sign. Yeah. Like, I could throw a dart at this building, and it has more stability than a sign. <laughs> you know, well, so they're not ones to split hairs either. It's yeah. sort of their way when they got the badge, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's funny. We revolted from a king, yet we make all these people kings. And uh, it's true. So this guy, he just, uh, I, I couldn't go. So I looked into how to remove this. So I need a demo permit, a removal permit, a sign permit, just to get this thing off. So I was like, well, I made $18 my first day. I don't have $2,200 for these three permits because that's what I was going to spend on my sign. <laughs> I like, yeah, what the fuck? Yeah. So this guy comes down the street by one of my eighth customers, Millard over at ready quick signs. And uh, he's like, yo man, you're not element. Why do you sell that sign up there? I'm like, well, wouldn't you know, <laughs> I, I talked to the King sign guy and he goes, Oh yeah, we got an idea. If it's just going to be a temporary thing until you can save money for the permits, then here's what uh, we can just put this banner over that sign. Oh, and nice. since it's a banner, we don't have to get a sign permit. And I'm like, Fuck yes. Yeah, let's play the game. Yeah, let's play the game, baby. <laughs> so I gave him a free pizza, and uh, and he made me a $200 sign that I thought was going to be temporary. Yeah. It's still up. Really? <laughs> yeah, it's still up. It's that, that crappy white banner. It's still up. Huh. So, yeah. it's Can't it's, even uh, tell. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> so it... Uh, so that's how that went. And then, you know, we started hitting, uh, we started hitting more marks real quick. And, uh, so I got a hold of the lady and I said, well, I'm starting to need help. And, you know, the process, the menu wanted to be bigger and, and I was moving more equipment in and, uh, I knew I was needing help. 
started getting a bunch of calls from, you know, Yelp, people wanting money to deliver. And it's really weird if you're the only worker to go out on a delivery, then put a sign on the door and said, you know, gone fishing, be back in 30. Yeah, yeah. I don't really fly. So I knew I needed help. And uh, so I called her. I'm like, hey, did you ever tell those workers that that they were losing their jobs? She's like, yeah. I said, oh, cool. Did you tell them that I'd be interested in hiring them? Yeah. Now, she never asked me about any of this. She just told them that to make them feel better. So I'm like, can I get your numbers? So I call a couple of them. And I'm like, hey, I'm the guy that bought this place. Uh, did she tell you? Because I have a feeling she didn't. No, she didn't tell us. Uh, we showed up Monday, and you were there. Like, oh, cool. Uh, <laughs> so I said, well, here's the deal. I need somebody that can serve and bartend uh, while I'm out cooking and delivering. And I don't know how much money you're going to make. Probably not much. But I know what kind of money you were making with her, which was definitely not much. Yeah. So if you were cool with that, I'll pay you a little bit more to, you know, to ride the wave with me. Yeah. So I brought the bartender in, and then uh, we started getting busier. And then she's like, you know, Ian would really like a job. I'm like, oh, was he the guy on the bicycle? He was really upset. And I said, give me his number. So I got his number. Like, yo, Ian, I'm Luke from OH Pizza. He goes, oh, are you the one that bought Element? I said, yeah. I said, man, did you find a job yet? He goes, no, I've been looking, but it's just really hard because school and I ride a bike and a lot of people can't work with school. And I'm like, you're hired. <laughs> and he's like, really? You'll hire me? I said, come on down, man. So he came down, and uh, he's still an employee of mine. Yeah. Almost four years later. That's crazy. And uh, so it's just really cool, and we just built it. You yeah, because so. for a while, it was your wife was working with you. Yeah, she worked with me. And then you guys got Dalton on. We got Dalton on, yeah. He was uh, – it was getting rough. So one of my – the poker player I was back in, Andrew, um, he's from Mansfield, and uh, and he saw it growing, like exponential growth. Um I mean, big time. And he's like, hey, man, I'm friends with all these guys that smoke weed. And we all smoke together. And these guys have been working at Kroger forever. And to work at Kroger, you got to show up. Yeah. And I'm like, showing up's half the battle. Probably more than that nowadays. Yeah. I said, so if they're showing up there working there, they probably do well for me. Yeah. And uh, so I bring these guys down. I'm like, okay, here's the deal. I said, I have other other metrics I want to hit. But I can't hit them making pizzas. I can only hit them if I'm out in the streets, pounding on the doors, putting up flyers, doing all this stuff. Uh, so I want to train you guys to be badasses. And uh, said, oh, I'm sure. And they said, well, I've been working at Kroger for, you know, twelve fifty after seven years. They say I have insurance, which is worth 45000 but <laughs> never seen a dime of that. Yeah. Know? So it's funny. Like, the corporation are like, oh, yeah, we got, you guys can have dental Ooh, yeah. pay $500 copay and, you know, but that's worth 45,000, you know, so it's just a scam. And, um, when Dawn's like, I'd rather just have the 45,000 and I'll get my teeth fixed on my own accord. Yeah. And, uh, so he was doing all that. And, and so these guys came down from Mansfield and I said, listen, if you listen to my process, I will show you how to deal with my people. You know, I'll show you how to deal with my fresh product and, uh, we're going to crush and uh, I brought like three guys from Mansfield, and two of them are still with me. Yeah, uh, Dalton and Wiles. So, and then when did you? So, okay, so you you did really well. This you did really well this 
the second year, correct? Or the first? No, I mean, if the you first look year at, exploded. Yeah. I mean, the, the first year, if you look at, um, if you look at sort of the path, so 14, May of 14, we bought it. Um, the lady before me was doing about a hundred thousand a year in business. And, uh, it was my goal in the first year to double her business. Yeah. And the first year we were on pace to hit a half a million. That's awesome. And not even a full year. Yeah. And like we were on pace for a half a million dollars in, in sales. And I'm like, okay, this is growing pretty quick. So 15 happened and I'm like, all right, well, there's 2015. Uh, and the goal was knowing this is an old ratty building. I wanted to remodel if Columbus like responded well to the food. And, uh, obviously they're responding well. Yeah. And, uh, and then so, he had two shitty contractors he had to deal oh, with. Yeah. Brutal. Small, the, uh, plights of a small business owner. Huh. Yeah. You're the plumber. You're the HVAC guy. <laughs> yeah. You're the sales rep. You're the answering machine at times when you yeah. need to be, you're everything you need to be. And a lot that you don't want to be or yeah. ever dreamt to have been. But, uh. So wh when did you get the food truck going? Because that's how I met you was the food truck. When yeah, did, what so, made you want to do another location? Well, here's the, here's sort of my plan. Um, talk about a lot of things that I, I wanted to take of of the goods and the bads from corporations. So the goods was the the books. Corporations yeah. great keeping books. Yeah, they know exactly their labor, their food cost, uh, their prime cost, everything. Their expenditures were on point. That was the best thing, the corporations, the big uh, Yum brand and and uh, Darden Foods and Landry's. That was the best thing they can do. Yeah. Um, you know, the more you get into the food, the more you start separating Yum from D Landry's, you know, Darden from Yum and all that. So I, I wanted to take that. And and one of the things I saw a lot of companies do, uh, the, the percentage is 90% of business fails in the first year. Uh, fifty percent can make it to the second year. Yeah, you know, and then once you hit year three, if you're profitable, boom, you're in. Yeah, you're in the in the party unless something tragically happens. I mean, you get a manager that's just spitting on food or dropping his sack on people's burgers. That's not going to fly too long. But uh, aside from that, if you make it to three years, you're good. Well, uh, one of the things I wanted to take from them, I wanted to run the books. Uh, which was more of a task than we originally thought due to tax law and everything, labor laws and workers comp laws and laws and laws and laws. But, uh, one of the things that I saw a lot of people fail at was they would get into opening a huge grand opening and mass marketing. We got to hire all these people. We got to have a soft opening and the soft opening. We got to make sure the kinks are worked out. <laughs> God damn it. Because when it's grand opening time, nah, we yeah. better fucking rip. You got to learn as you earn, man. Well, and isn't that funny that no one really thinks like that? Yeah. And so the idea was, Hey, instead of me doing that crazy convoluted thing and hire 50 people and fire 20 of them, cause I don't need them after the honeymoon period. I said, you know what? There's a bunch of markets I want to go in. My goal is to have 10 restaurants. There's a bunch of markets I want to go in. But real estate's not cheap. No. And you're signing your life away. You're yeah. signing up for five-year leases that you got to personally guarantee. Yeah. And although you can be in a, a pretty LLC, a limited liability company, you're still signing your life away because you got to personally guarantee it. And uh, And so it got to the point where... Uh, I said, you know what? Fuck that. I'm going to build a sixty, seventy thousand $70,000 trailer. It's going to be badass. I'm going to take it to a market I want 
to try to hit. And then once, if I start expanding the way I was downtown, mm-hmm. then I'll look for brick and mortar. Yeah. And then I'll take the trailer somewhere else and build the brand there. And because my idea was if downtown, we're in the busiest intersection of downtown. Yeah. Uh, right off third. And everybody's going to see us, but mostly everybody's not going to go to us because they're just going to pass us. You yeah. Know? We're like anything else. I wanted to check it out for a while before I did. I remember because my buddy somehow there was a mess up on the, on the pizza boxes and his cell phone number got oh. put on your pizza boxes, which is so funny. Cause he was yeah. like, yeah, you, you work there now. I go, yeah. He's like, don't you remember? That's the one that they kept calling me about pizzas. <laughs> and then I called the owner. He goes, yeah, man, I, I don't know who calls off of a pizza box to order pizza, but sorry about that, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was pretty funny calling your buddy. Uh, and I've had to do a lot of things as an owner. Yeah. I mean, when I'd hire people for whatever reason, they would not cut pizzas. And one of our regulars had me go down to German city or German village. I don't know why I'm calling German city. Uh, they had me go down to German village with a pizza cutter and they got it on YouTube probably somewhere. I haven't found it, but yeah. I'm sure you can look. Uh, but the, what's important is that you made it right. You know Absolutely. What I mean? Yeah. And, and that was sort of my mission statement from beyond. It was, you know, it wasn't this well-written, you know, scholarly thing from some NBA or some marketing grad. It was make the best food possible and make the customers as happy as possible. Yeah, man. That's my mission statement. Yeah. And anybody can find good pizza. There's good pizza everywhere, you know. Even at your favorite pizza, Vito's up in Toledo. It was good. Even, yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter that they're you know getting everything frozen. I mean, to you, it's good. It was good back in the day, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's and until you have something to compare it to, it's whatever. Until you don't, like, until you actually know. What it should taste like. Yeah, what it should taste yeah. like. Or you see the difference. It's just like, any, it's just like growing your own food. It's the sure. same thing for me. Oh, yeah. When I started growing my own vegetables, I was like, whoa. This is different. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was like, it's really a flavor. Yeah. Like there's a lot more flavor here, huh? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's, it's the same thing. So you're, so you're playing it and it's a smart plan. So your plan is you get, you get with a bar, you get your food truck there, you get some, and that's how I met you. Cause I was, I was doing skip the dishes delivery. Yep. And then it's like, okay, we have a market here. We're building a brand here. Now we can go to brick and mortar and now you take, and now you have this asset that's temporarily down until you take it to another location where you want to, where you decide you can do some market research and see if it works. Yeah. And it was easy going where I'm going because they, they had a huge construction project and uh, they, they sink a several tens of millions of dollars into this trench. They call it. It's pretty much a little two lane underpass. Yeah. Really dumb. It's super dumb. So they're bypassing four lights. Yeah. And uh, to give a two lane going northbound, Really, really dumb. Very but creative. My my thought was the average median income up there was great. Yeah. And my thought was, well, the income, those metrics are correct. Uh, the, there's enough people close enough. And my thought was there's only a certain amount of pizza places because a lot of them closed down when they started the project. A lot of places closed. But I thought, well, they went from two lanes to six lanes. And they thought it was advantageous to spend, you know, $50 million on this trench. Oh, it sounds advantageous to put a pizza shop there. Especially what I really like about the trench is that uh, there's no covering, so it still gets rain yeah, and it's snow. Awesome. Yeah, it makes yeah. so much sense. Yeah, it's 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 pretty much the dumbest thing. It's pretty much, let's dig out something, make 18 mom and pops, 
go out of business for no goddamn reason and put up two retaining walls with some cross members and with some cameras and a speed trap on the other side of it. Yeah. So it's a downhill going north that you're finally happy to get out of traffic. So you don't want to go 35. So you go 65. Well, guess what? Worthington cops know about that. So they sit on the other side clocking people. So it's yeah. real nice. <laughs> I guess they got to recoup that 50 mil somehow. Somehow. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that was the idea. And we have metrics to, to mark all those and little indicators. And, uh, and you know, if we it's just it's working out. So, I mean, the idea is when we go to when we work the deal out with the bar, it's good for them. Because when somebody gets food, they'll stay at a bar 50 minutes longer. Yeah. I think how many beers you drink in 50 minutes. Yeah. Maybe two. Yeah. You know, so the bar's making an extra 10 bucks per person. Yeah. You know, that they weren't making before times 100. I mean, it's life-changing money to that bar. And then food truck culture is pretty big in Columbus, It's getting too. big. Yeah, yeah, getting big. Downtown, where all the hipsters are, downtown Especially. is huge. Up in Worthington, that, that was tricky because – not only are we trying to service the bar, we're also trying to service where we're eventually going to be delivering. And, uh, and it's really weird because people will get find us on Yelp and they're like, Oh, Yelp. Yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, we're going to pick it up. And I like, Oh fuck, here we go. They're going to come pick up the food. They're going to see us. And we've had people look, see our trailer, which it's a nice looking trailer. It is nice. Yeah. They look at the trailer like, what the fuck? That can't be, and they just drive away. We call you up, yo. Uh, I liked it, man. When I showed up the first time, you were making everything fresh, and I was just yeah. talking to you. I was like, yeah, man, I've been wanting to try this spot out. I was like, you got a spot downtown too, right? And you yeah. go, yeah, yeah, we can serve beer there. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I got to try your food. You're like, dude, it's the best. I try to get the best ingredients. He gave me this sales pitch, and then I was like, well, hey, dude, give me your number, and uh, I seriously want to drive. I'm scheduled out through the week, and then yeah, and I was like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm totally down. Yeah, it's. I, I think it's just one of those great things, man. It's uh, the mission statement stayed true, you know, to uh, to where we are now compared to where we were then. Yeah, I mean, we're we're approaching two million in sales annually now. That's awesome. From a hundred thousand small business owner. Yeah, that's the full story, man. We can we'll have to wrap more about our issues with uh, our political climate later. But yeah, thanks for sure. sharing your story, man. I yeah. think it's super inspirational and. Um, yeah, man. I think. What are we at now? I think we're probably at another two and a half hours. Probably. I don't I even no know. I, I don't either. Let me, uh, <laughs> let me pull it up. Hopefully, my uh, CPU yeah. don't turn off. Well. Yeah. Two hours. Two hours. Well, awesome. Well, uh, so if you guys are in Columbus, Ohio, or Worthington, Ohio, definitely check out OH Pizza and Brew or OH Pizza and Wings. Everybody that comes in town has the pizza. I'm a big fan of the food. Otherwise, I, I probably wouldn't work there. <laughs> I believe that about you. No, I wouldn't. Yeah, yeah. I'd be like, yeah, because I would be like, uh, what do you do? You like it, the food there? I'd be like, no, man, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> and I wouldn't want to work there. It wouldn't be. It'd be pretty dishonest for me. So I, uh, it gets me in trouble sometimes, man, because I don't want to cook. And then I'll be yeah. like, oh yeah, let me take home pizza. Yeah. Now my my friends make me take them home oh, pizza yeah. and stuff yeah, like that. Was. So it's it's a good problem to have, man. But uh, definitely check check out Luke's restaurant and. Um, yeah, man, we'll just wrap it up there, man. Thanks for having me over, actually, sounds in good. Luke's studio today. We are indeed. Hopefully it sounds all right. I think it sounds great. Cool, man. We'll figure it out. Well, thanks, guys, for listening. We'll give you another episode here soon. All right, so that is the end of that episode. Be sure to, if you like the show, go to patreon.com slash sample hour and 
Give me a dollar a month, guys. You know, I'm, I'm starting to upload stuff again. Uh, been out of the game a little bit. Dealing with some family stuff. Dealing with business stuff. But things are good, guys. Got lots more good episodes coming your way. Got a better understanding of where I'm going to take the show. So hopefully you guys will stick around for the ride. Um, looking forward to bringing you guys more episodes soon. Thank you guys so much. Could I forget? Also, check out naturesimagefarm.com. I am not sure what they have for sale. But if they do have anything for sale that are plants, 10%. Well, okay, use code word sample, get 10% and free shipping if there's anything for sale. But if not, just check out naturesimagefarm.com and have yourselves a good day.